T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Embiid, Harden, driving, floating, and hitting! Noreen, back to six! Clap your hands, Sixers fans! Your boys have won five in a row. Youth was served for about two and a half quarters, and then things righted back up again. Well, there you go. Uh, Kate Scott, who actually will be with us later in the show, and Allah Abdel Nabi talking uh, last night after the game as the Sixers come back from oof, a huge early game deficit. They don't even show up in the first half. And then they come back and win the game 125 to 119. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday morning in the Delaware Valley. I'm Glenn Mack now, along with my pal Ray Dinger. Ray, mm-hmm. we're basketball guys. <laughs> we are now. Huh? <laughs> we are now. Who isn't? I mean, everybody in town's really excited, and you should be. They're got a fun team to watch and a team that, um, by any objective measure, really has a chance to make some noise in the postseason, I think. I, I don't think that's dreaming to talk about that. 4-0 and now with James Harden, and, you know, people said, well, you know, your first game was against Minnesota, which, by the way, it's not a bad team. They're not a terrible Minnesota's team. Minnesota's going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to make the playoffs out there in the West. Oh, they will. They're above 500 and beat them on the road in the first game, and then you play the Knicks back-to-back, and, yeah, the Knicks are pretty lousy, but Cleveland, Cleveland is a good team, and Cleveland came in here with a lot of energy, and I think that they uh, they were going to win. The there's there's a lot we're going to discuss with this. By the way, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. But um, one of the aspects of it that's that's really um, impressive is you get the sense that the Sixers lineup can just wear you down. You don't want to spot the other team points in every game, right? But they kind of have. But eventually they will wear you down. They put. Minnesota and New York in big-time foul trouble, as I recall. Right. Uh, that didn't happen so much yesterday. But, I mean, I guess at the end of the first quarter, what was the score at the end of the first quarter? It was, it was, it was pretty bad. Oh, yeah. 43 yeah, 40, to 30. 43-30. Yeah, it was like 40 to 18 or something at one point. And you got the feeling like, uh, okay. But as soon as they started to come back, I felt, okay, they're going to be great. It is, a little, it is a little alarming when you get to halftime and the other team has 71 points. Yeah. That's, that's a little alarming. Yeah, they're going to have to learn to play some defense. They will. I mean, and we knew, you know, James Harden brings a lot to the table, but defense is <laughs> no defense isn't one of them. No. So you know, and you saw early. I mean, Cleveland came Cleveland came out hot, 
I mean, they were hot, but the but the but the Sixers were giving them an awful lot of easy baskets. They they had a lot of easy paths to the hoop uh, in that first half, especially the first quarter. I think they I think they hit their first nine shots, and um, yeah, I mean they're going to have to play. They're going to have to play. They don't play much defense in the NBA in the regular season, but in the postseason they do, and they're going to have to get better at that. Yeah, they're going to have to get better at that. One of the things that you've really seen uh, over these four games is the amazing emergence of Tyrese Maxey, Mm -hmm. who was a nice second-year player to begin with. By the way, give Daryl Morey some credit. Found him with the 21st pick of the draft. And made the Harden trade without giving him up. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the longest time in all the discussions, whenever people were proposing, and it went on for weeks, if not months, the, the Harden trade, every proposed package that you saw of what the Sixers would have to give up to get Harden, they all included Tyrese Maxey. They all included Tyrese Maxey. And I, to be honest with you, as much as I wanted to see Harden come here because I thought it was the right move, I really felt bad. I thought, i, I got to hate giving up Maxey because I think he really is a star on the rise. And... So for Morey to make the trade and keep Maxi, I thought was, <laughs> I mean that was the cherry on top of the on top of the Sunday right there. It was now now you've got real three really explosive offensive elements in your team. Yeah, and it pays off last night because Embiid was uh, not spectacular yesterday. Was kind of missing some shots. Uh, James Harden got in early foul trouble, which kept him off the floor a lot. Um, and you needed somebody, particularly in that second half, and my God, Ray, the explosiveness of this kid is really something. The speed, now that he's off the ball, and we've talked about this, now that he's off the ball, the explosiveness is is amazing. Yes, and the shooting. That's the thing. I mean, he's he's become um, a really good shooter from distance now. I mean, he was a guy that could, Last year he had great speed. He could take it to the basket. He could create his own shot. He could shoot off the dribble. He could do all that stuff. But he wasn't really a threat from three-point. You saw last night that he was. Yeah. I mean, he hit five out of six from three-point, and the one that he missed was in and out. The one he was in, it looked like it should have gone in and bounced out. So, yeah, last year he, last year he shot uh, 30% from three. This year he's shooting 40% from three. So you know what that shows, Glenn? It's interesting. Yeah, I know what it shows. If if you work at it, yes, you <laughs> might get better at it. How about that? Yes, and so what are you trying to say, right? Uh, I'm suggesting that there's a lesson there for uh, the young man from Australia if he cares to pay attention. I don't think he, he's he's too busy trying to figure out what's going on with his back. Can Tyrese Maxey? I uh, I know this is always a dangerous exercise to do based on a handful of games. You know, last year and and this year, but we thought that um we we thought w- w- that the Sixers might need that third star right you always need that third star mm-hmm. uh to to make a team in the NBA be that good that that's what the NBA is about you need three guys and uh it's not going to be Tobias Harris right and uh, it wouldn't appear that way okay so you have Embiid as a certified star you have Harden as a certified star i mean these are two guys who will be in the hall of fame one day can Maxi emerge as that third guy? You know, you go back to the 82-83 Sixers and what they were about. Can Maxi be, well, I don't want to say can he be Andrew Tony because they're all different players. But yes. Can he, but can he be that third guy, make an all-star team or two, not, not become one of the top 20 players in the league, but a guy who during his career make a couple all-star games, maybe have a 20-point year down the road? Yeah, I think, it's, I think, that's, I, I think that's possible. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's uh, dreaming. Um, it's funny when I was on with uh, Joe DeCamera and John Ritchie on Wednesday, 
um, we, a caller called up and tr- and was comparing Maxi to Andrew Tony, and I said, I said, yeah, pump the brakes on that one. You know, I, th- I mean, I, I really like this kid. Uh, yeah. And I think we're, I think you're really starting to see him emerge from being a good player to being a real good player. Um, but we know what Andrew Tony was, and we know what he contributed to the championship. So I'm not ready to make that comparison. Plus, they're different. Andrew was bigger. Yeah, I know. Andrew was bigger and more physical than this kid. Yeah, yeah. And 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 certainly Andrew had proven over time that he was a great shooter from distance. It could be we're seeing that Maxie might be getting there, but he's not there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, best caller of the day today wins a fifty dollars gift card to Shibe Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Visit them in their center city, in Center City, or at ShibeSports.com. Uh, so we always look to give away that $50 gift certificate. It impressed me yesterday because Cleveland came in wanting to win, right? The NBA has so many games, road games, that often a team, as as Doc Rivers says, scheduled loss. And it wasn't for Cleveland. They came in wanting to win. They played hard. Uh, and the Sixers, after that terrible defensive effort at the beginning, really got it together, got their fourth straight win. And I and – I, I'm I'm really impressed with this team and and really enjoying this team. Yeah, in the second half when they they obviously had halftime and Maxie said it in his post game interview was at halftime all we talked about was the defense. We got to come out. We got to play defense. We got to get some stops. We can't let this team score every possession. And so that was that was what they talked about in the locker room. And they came out in the second half and they played much better defense. I mean, the second half what did Cleveland get forty eight points. I mean, it was mm-hmm. I mean they and a lot of stops. The Sixers tightened up the defensive pressure, and it made a difference. They can play defense when they want to, and in the playoffs they're going to have to if they want to win. Yeah, and they're also going to have to figure out how to uh, <laughs> how to play against the zone, which still is a problem for them. But yes. They're going to have to figure that out. But you put Maxie and, and uh, Harden in the backcourt and beat up front, There's, I don't know that any defense is going to stop that in the long run. Tonight, Miami, uh, Eastern Conference leading team. Then they go play third-seeded Chicago Monday night. And then they come home Thursday to play the Nets. It's a big, big week, man. Yeah, this will be. Uh, this is the stretch that's going to tell you a little bit more about the team. Um, and we knew that. And last night was the was the first was the first step down that road. And Cleveland's good. I mean, they're they're legit. And they came in, and as you said, they came in. They wanted to make a statement of their own. And for a half, they did. But the Sixers came back and got the better of them. This is going to be a real test. I mean, you play that game, which I mean, you had to play it hard for forty eight minutes to win it. And then you got to hop on a plane and fly down to Miami and play a really good yeah. Miami team. Miami's won 42 games this year. They're 20 yep. games over 500. So yeah. this, you know, this, this is one of those games where the schedule certainly isn't doing the Sixers any favor. But, you know, let's see how they handle it. Yeah, I mean, Miami's they know, they, rested, they know yeah. the challenge. I mean, yep. they know what's in front of them. Let's see how they handle it. 215-592-9494. We'll grab a call or two here. Dennis in Springfield starts us. Dennis, I hear you went to your first game in a long time last night. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, before and before I get to my uh, Maxi Simmons trade trade point, I went last night. It's probably the first live event I went to in maybe five years with with COVID and all the other stuff and all. And two observations were: first of all, it's incredible what they do down there. I mean, that it is so much fun. I'm yeah. 63 years old, and I had a blast. And my other observation is the amount of young kids in the stands is incredible. I mean, there are kids all over the place. When you say and, kids, and I, you mean children kids or you mean like I, I, I 18 mean to 25 like under, kids? No, no, I mean like under 15. Yeah. Oh, they're listen, they are doing a great job right now of bringing in the next generation 
And if I'm going to just throw in a slight parenthetical sidebar, Ray, as opposed to another franchise currently playing. Yeah, we'll get to them later. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was like comparing it to baseball. And oh, these, well, that if, too. These kids, if, the, if these kids are going to Sixers games, there's no way they want to go to a baseball game and, and sit there and be bored to tears for three hours. Yeah, but you know it's also always about when your team is good. If you That's went to the true. Phillies games between 2007 and 2011, it was, it was a pretty damn good show. Now, as, as far as Maxie goes, and uh, I, I, I've been listening to a lot of the trade talk and a lot of the trade discussion, and, and it seems like the national media is tripping all over themselves to praise Ben Simmons' defense and court awareness. Well, you know what? I'll take what Maxie brings seven days out of seven as opposed to Ben Simmons holding a guy who may score 25 and holding him to 16 and, and, and being able to see the court. That kid, Maxie, he plays with such joy and enthusiasm and talent. I mean, he's really, really good. You, you, you insert him, remove Simmons, to me that's a major plus. I, I don't see how the Sixers can Let even me... be thought of losing that trade. Let, Ray, uh, you, uh, you in the mood to defend Ben Simmons on any level? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no. I th- no, I think I, I think you know, I think he makes a really good point. You know, it's uh, Maxi is uh, Maxi is a fun player to watch, and I've said all along. I it amazes me that that Simmons still has people out there that that talk about him like he's some kind of superstar. It's I I just don't see it. You know, I I just don't see that he does the things that win you championships. I just you know, okay, he can play defense, fine, but you know, I mean, he can't. We all know he can't shoot, and you know, and you got Harden to distribute the ball, and Harden sees the court as well as as well as Simmons does. So I mean, this whole idea that Simmons is, you know, is this enormous—I hate the term—generational talent. I mean, oh, that was it, man. That was it. Well, we've certainly left that in the rearview <laughs> mirror. But I mean, I don't—I don't even think he's a particularly good player. I really don't. You know, all those kids down at the game that he references, and people a lot older than that. To me, if I if I could buy stock in something, I would buy stock in Maxi number zero jerseys. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think number zero is a cool number to wear. Yeah, I do. It's it's. I I don't know if he's got a story behind it. Often guys do. I'm sure he does. Yeah, uh, but I think zero. I'm is sure. Yeah, cool. I'm sure he asked for it. Yes, yeah, I'm sure. I don't asked, think they just they didn't. Him. They didn't just hand him. Hey, welcome to the team. You're the first round pick. Here's number zero. Right. So there's there's got to be a story behind it. I would like to know. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's that's the to me that's the jersey to get. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, number, they're selling a few number ones right now. Yes, they are. And it's <laughs> at number twenty-one, still always. I'm seeing. I'm actually. It's amazing. I mean, Harden hasn't been here this long, but I was in. I was walking around Center City the other day. I, I can't tell you how many people in Harden jerseys already. Is that right? Are wearing them in Center wow. City? Yes. Hey, people are really ready to win. Yeah, they are. You know, the people who hung with this franchise through all those horrible years, and I'm certainly not. Don't want to relitigate the process, but. I always appreciated the fans who kind of hung in, hung in, hung in, um, and it's been it's been uh, forty thirty nine years since the Sixers won a title, which means that most of our listeners were not alive when the Sixers, or certainly have no memory of the Sixers winning a title. Mm-hmm. They're due. Yeah. Do we work on the other team at this point too? Uh, no, that's later. We're gonna we'll get to them later. Okay. Lee. Even even our coach is fed up with us. Yeah, well, his, have you seen, did you see yes. his press conference after Thursday's game? Yeah, join the club. Yeah, Lee, you're on with uh, Ray and Glenn. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey Lee. Uh, so I was at the game yesterday too, uh, like Dennis was, uh-huh. and 
like like he said, Maxi just plays. He's just so happy on the court all the time, and it just radiates like a good energy on the floor. And like he said, all the young fans there like that. Like I'm only 18 years old, and I had some of the most fun I've had at a Philly sports event in a long time. And um, when yeah. they were down by 20, I, re- I really wasn't nervous because we were shooting over 50% when we were down by 20 points. Yes, the Sixers finished the first half shooting 55%. That was the good news. I think the bad news is that Cleveland was at what sixty three percent, right? Yeah, they were they were at something out yeah. of this world. But yeah. um, yeah, people were talking about how um the national media really is giving the Nets a lot of credit for, I don't really know what they Simmons hasn't played. He's making headlines about how he can't dunk, and the guy that we got to keep is averaging twenty seven points since Harden's gotten. So here. I mean, Lee, here's what I think that is. Because you mentioned that and the previous caller Dennis mentioned that and here's what I think that is. And and Ray I know will back me up on this. Ray, when when people say national media now, they sometimes and, and please Lee, I'm not I'm not taking a shot at you, but this is what yeah, I think. No, okay. No That's okay. People look at the national media and what they're looking at is the blabbering, yammering ninnies who are on the ESPN, Fox Sports Network, those national talk shows right? who yeah. have to have a take. Mm-hmm. And the take can't be, wow, this looks like a good trade for the Sixers. The take has to be, I'm going to say something that's going to draw me a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Right? It's right. the Skip yeah. Bayless school of being a jackass. Sure. That's and that, and that's what I think it is. I think if you surveyed 100 national media people who know basketball, you'd find five with that opinion. But they're the loudest voices. Yeah, that, that's true. But anyway, I, I was really trying to drive home the point. Maxie's just such a fun guy to watch. Some of the shots he was making, even under the basket yesterday, were unbelievable. Oh, yeah. He really is. Oh, yeah. Fan favorite. He and, and deservedly so. So much energy, speed. Love him. Just love him. All right, we're going we're gonna to stick with that, but I want to work in football uh, today. You and I, tomorrow, Ray, we're going to do the Ray Dinger draft preview feature every week, and tomorrow you're going to feature, I believe, Combine Heroes or yes. Combine yes. Frauds or whatever yes. you want to call them. Yes, yeah, the, the, um, you know, the, the mystery of the Combine is, the, is the, why, you know, and why do scouts and talent evaluators continue to, continue to get fooled by – Guys in cheese and shorts. Okay, you know, it's going to touch on the Kenny Pickett doll hands issue. Yeah, he's yeah, uh, yeah he, he he did not measure nine inches across, so that's oh, a big problem. It, it's so I'm told. Yeah. Okay, so, but I do want to I want to work this in, and well, and everybody who's on hold the Sixers, don't go anywhere because we're really going to get to you. I want, but I want to make this a a two pronged show. Um, much was made of Nick this week, and I I don't know if you discussed this when you were on earlier in the week. I didn't hear you, but. The mini free throw setup that he brought and how when the Eagles interviewed some of the kids at the Combine, they had to do like a free throw shooting contest against the coach. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Okay. Um, And I'm okay with it because if nothing else to me, it provides a little bit of a change of pace for these 22-year-olds. They're giving the same interview Again and again and again, and sitting down at a table with this GM and this coach and this club president being asked the same questions. To me, if Nick just says, you know, I'm going to shake it up and move them out of that element into something else, I'm good with that. What okay. do you think? What's okay. your take? Um, I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's to me, it, it strikes me as a little goofy. 
but you know, I mean, if that's if well, that's, we got goofy. If that's going to be his, if that's going to be his mo, all right, you know. Uh, what I don't like is, I mean, if if you're just doing it to change it up and have a little fun with the guy, okay. Um, but I heard Nick in his press conference when he talked about it, saying, "I want to see how competitive they are." I, come on, I mean, really? I mean, playing, playing, throwing a Nerf ball, you're going to learn how competitive a football player is. You know, I, I will always say this. I'll continue to say this <laughs> until, uh, until I stop doing this job. But the answer, all the answers that really matter, you find them on the tape. You find out how competitive a guy is by putting the tape on and watching him play. You're not, not by shooting free throws with a Nerf ball. I mean, that's, if you would just want to have a little fun with the guy and lighten the mood, and that, that's fine, but don't try and sell that to me as that's the way you're going to find yeah, a competitor. Yeah, and I heard him say that, and I don't buy it either. I mean, I, I, I hope that's not what he believes. I hope what he believes is I just want to f- loosen this kid up and find out about him. Does he fit our culture? Is he, is he a guy who would, would do well here? Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, I'm sure the Eagles ha- sit down with, you know, how, he, how he's not playing Nerf ball with him, right? How he's not putting a sweatband over his forehead and putting on the high tops and running around. We, we don't know that. Well, I'm hoping Howie just has that standard interview, and then Nick takes him to a different setting and just looks at it differently. And to me, that's, that's a good thing. Howie, you, I, Howie's going to come out in the, uh, in the Will Farrell outfit with the headband <laughs> and, the short, and the little short shorts. Oh, I, I, I want to see that. Perspiring heavily. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the Will Farrell semi-pro look. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so that's going on. The combine is going on. And in 11 days, Ray, it's the new NFL season, which is going to be – very exciting because it's going to be free agency and we're going to have a lot more draft talk and stuff's going to happen. Sounds like Amari Cooper's going to be out in Dallas. Aaron Rod- By the way, is there a bigger attention whore in this country right now than Aaron Rodgers? No, I, I put him right at the top of my list. Right, clutching for more attention. Rumors has it that Washington is pursuing both Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I think, first of all, I don't think Russell Wilson would have any interest in going to Washington. You wouldn't think so. And second of all, I think that a team with an owner accused of sex improprieties going for Deshaun Watson would be about as bad a PR move as you can make. Yeah, I mean, with everything that's been said about the Washington organization and what a terrible, you know, what a terrible climate it's been and toxic environment and a lot of it having to do with sexual harassment, they can't. They, they can't. I know they've been pretty clueless in the area of public relations, but they can't very well pursue Deshaun Watson. Right. So I just want to put that in so you can call about uh, Sixers basketball. You can talk about uh, the Eagles in the NFL or anything else. Just one other thing before the, we go to the break. And everybody on hold, stick there. We're going to get you. Uh, a lot of new stuff going on with you that uh, I want to I mention. First of all, very exciting, March 18th. And I know that we've mentioned this, but I want to pump it up a little bit. At Harris, AC, at Harris Inn, Atlantic City, Ray Dinger is going to be this year's winner of the Francis Reds Bagnell Award from the Maxwell Club. What is that award specifically, Ray? It's one of those sort of um, contributions to the game of contributions to the game of football kind of award. Um, you know, lifetime achievement kind of thing. They're nice. Irving Thalberg kind of thing at the Yeah, out of the Oscar. sure. I guess that's the I guess that's the football equivalent. It's basically they're basically telling you you've been around a long time. Uh, I think they're telling you you've been around a long time and you've done amazing work. So that that is great. I'm I'm really looking forward to being there myself. Uh, other winners that night, by the way, Jonathan Taylor gets the Burt Bell Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Taylor, the Bengals coach, is the coach of the year. Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, is the college player of the year. I don't know, offense player of the year. Jordan Davis, 
uh, George is the defensive player. He's of getting the, the year. Ben Eric Award, right? But all of those, my friend, will pale in comparison <laughs> to the standing ovation that is heard oh all the way across the Atlantic when Ray Dinger gets that Red Bagnell Award. I guess I have to write a speech, don't I? Oh yeah. Okay. I know your speech. I've seen you open for Conklin and uh, Big Daddy. Well, hopefully, I'll do better. Than which, that. by the way, I'm doing on March 25th. Oh, good we'll, for we'll, you. we'll get to that another week. Uh, and and last thing here before we go to the break, um, people ask us all the time, hey, is Tommy and me coming back? When do I get to see Tommy and me? Is it ever coming back? You got some news. This is this is so exciting. I am, re- I am really excited about that because we, we finally got the green light this very week. Um, and, yes, Tommy and me is indeed coming back. Uh, and I'm really excited because it's going to a new theater. Uh, it's going to the Bucks County Playhouse, which is a great, great theater with, it a, tr- is. with a tremendous history, beautiful setting up in New Hope, right on the Delaware River. Uh, and and, a, bring- and a part of town where you haven't had the opportunity to do the show. So I think you're going to get a whole new fan yeah, base. Yeah, we've never had the show up in Bucks County. We've done it three times in Philadelphia. We did it last year in Wilmington. We did it once at the Media Theater out in Delco. We've never been to Bucks. Uh, so I know that's Eagles country up there. And People have often said, why don't you bring it up here? Well, we are, and uh, it, it we will open. It's right around the corner, April the 7th, and we will run 10 performances. Whoa. It's 10 performances through April the 17th. You got your team ready? You got, you got to have to hold training camp quick, two well, a days. The same cast is coming back, so they, they, won't have to, they won't have to spend a whole lot of time in rehearsal. Uh, but April, we open April 7th. We run through April 17th, 10 performances, and tickets are now on sale. So if you go to the Bucks County Playhouse website and you'll see the tommy and me logo you can click on it and you can order your tickets today and we have some wonderful folks coming in to host the post-show q and a's you've already volunteered to do it joe conklin's going to do it uh sal palantonio is going to do it mike sealski is going to do it so we're going to have some really good it's great really good people and some really fun nights well, it's a great show if you haven't seen it and you uh in any way can get up to bucks county go see it if you have i don't even have to sell you you'll probably go see it again all right, 215-592-9494. Bill and Fred and Mike, stick around. We will get you guys coming up. Anybody else is invited to join. Tell us your story at noon today. Dave Poulin, one of the most popular flyers of all time. At 1125, we're going to talk to Sixers broadcaster Kate Scott. And this week's uh, Scheib Sports This Week in Philadelphia History is a, how do I want to say this? It's a bad moment for the Eagles but a brilliant moment in the history of Ray Didinger. <laughs> Can both things be true? Yeah, oh, sure. 215-592-9494. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Right, Andrew Glenn Mac now, 94 WIP. Let's see what Bill in Princeton has to say about his local basketball squad. Hey, Bill. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Bill? Wonderful. So, so um, Ray, I had the pleasure of meeting you on Monday night. You went to a uh, college basketball game at Jefferson <laughs> against uh, Little Nyack College. I'm a trustee at Nyack, and um, – I uh, p- first told myself I wasn't going to call over and say hello because you were sitting by yourself, obviously for a reason. But I said hello just to just to recognize you. But it was wonderful to see uh, you enmeshed in uh, Division Two basketball. And Nyack College is one of those ones that you know they're most of those students are first generation um, immigrants, first ones graduating from college. But it was wonderful to see you. Um, well, I was yeah. Well, first. I was I was out there. That was that was Herb McGee's final game on that floor uh, after 55 years. So, so I felt like, uh, so I felt like I had to be there for that moment. And it was, uh, it was, it was really, it was really a fun night as, as all those nights at, uh, at Jefferson uh, have always been. It's, uh, it's just going to seem, it just seems going to seem so strange uh, to see that team take the floor next year and Herb not be there, but I had to be there for the final night. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, my, my father, uh, you know, an 80 year old, uh, you know, grew up in, Pennsylvania was was envious uh, that he didn't get to say hello, but um, I did take a, a snapshot of the Nyack students, and you were in the background. So, uh, but thank you for uh, for you know for, oh. for living sports and everything that you said. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thanks for saying hi, Bill. Bill, I got to get yeah. you to the Sixers here. Yeah. So, I, what I was thinking is, and I said this to the producer, you know, prior to um, prior to this trade. I wouldn't look to see, you know, one of the Sixers playing next, just like I'm not looking for one of the Flyers playing next. But now I'm looking for every game and calling my nephew and saying, when are we going to get together? I'm calling all of my vendors and saying, okay, who's going to take me to the next game? And, and with Harden, what I lo- the, the thing I wanted to make the point is, as great as he is, it kind of reminds me of the moment, you know, when Pete Rose was signed and not just what he did as an individual, but he made a guy like Mike Schmidt get over the top and other players. So just be interested in your thoughts. That, that No one ever talked about that prior to the Harden trade. Obviously, everyone's talking now about how, how he's investing in Maxi. That's what I just love. This yeah. is a great player sharing. Well, it's a good point. Uh, I don't want to burst his bubble by saying that it wasn't until Pete Rose's second year here, right, that the Phillies won a World Series. He came in 79. Came and, in 79. And they didn't do as well as they should have. No, it wasn't his fault. He had 330. Yeah, year. well. Right, but the but the, the team had issues. But then in '80, they did put it together and won their first World Series. And I, I I've I've said it a million times, and I'll say it again. I still to this day believe they would never have won the World Series if they didn't get Pete. I really I really do think he was the missing piece. Yeah, uh, I wasn't here at the time. To me, the closest I have to this kind of experience watching my teams is either Roy Halladay coming to the Phillies to complete that amazing rotation. Mm-hmm. And again, they didn't win the World Series with Halladay, but. Did pretty damn well. 102 games. Yeah, or Terrell Owens when it came to the Eagles and the amazing excitement that that created and what that season was right up until the Super Bowl. Yeah, 
So. Yeah, same kind of same kind of impact, same kind of excitement, same kind of anticipation. And yeah, I mean they're, you know, it's not going to be easy. I mean, uh, uh, some people are sort of conceding them or sort of uh, sort of handing them the East now. And I don't think oh gosh, gonna, no, I don't think it's going to be easy at all. I mean, the, there are some really good teams in the East. I still think Milwaukee. If if you were to ask me right now, who what do you think the Eastern Final is going to be? I will tell you, I think it's going to be. Sixers, Milwaukee. I really do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though Miami's got a great record and they're a good team for sure, and you saw Cleveland's a good team, and they're, I mean, there are some good teams in the East, but I think it's going to come down. I think it's really going to come down to Sixers, Bucks. I really do, and that will be that will be a fun best of seven. The Sixers going to get to play New Jersey along the way. No oh, Jersey, God, I hope so. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, yeah, hope so. Oh, we all hope so. Yeah, they may. Hey, they may not even make the playoffs. All right. So the one the one constant through all of this, and we're excited about Harden, we're excited about Maxi, but of course we're still excited about Embiid. And he he spoke earlier this week uh, in one of the news conferences about how everything has changed, and there's been all these teammates and coaches and general managers, but he he has tried to define the team's culture through all of the changes. Um, and in what his responsibility is as the face of the franchise. It's a little bit of a long cut here. It's a minute 15. But I want to play it for you. I want to get your reaction and the listeners. The coach has changed. The front office has changed. Are you the coach? Uh, I'm in, uh, I've been through a lot. <laughs> I've, been. The coach. <laughs> I, I, I've been through a lot. Whether as you talk about, you know, freaking GMs using burner accounts, <laughs> talking trash on their players, uh, you know, uh, I've always thought that I will always have like one coach for the rest of my career in Coach Brown. Uh and obviously you change and you know I've seen you know so many players. I remember my first two or three years. You know we had probably over 80 players in one year. Like just guys coming in, you know guys getting cut. Like it's hard. It's hard to keep that culture. So I wouldn't say it's all about me. Obviously, I've been here the longest, and uh, I've been lucky enough to, uh, you know, keep going through trade deadlines and not getting traded and all that stuff. So. <laughs> you know what? That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it's not about me. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, we got a bunch of great people that are working behind the scene, whether it's staff or guys in the arena, guys at the, you know, practice facility. Um, so uh, it's not about me. I love him. Yeah, it is about him. But I, 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 I love him. And and listen, when they drafted him. Uh, during those process years, it was such a big risk, and he didn't even play hardly for, what, the first three years? Yeah. And I remember thinking, man, if they get 600 games out of this guy, that that's there's the over-under, and he's turned into, you know, arguably the best player in the league. He's the MVP this year, right? And you can't argue that. No. I mean, people have tried to make a case for a few other players, but no, it's clearly him. Uh, and... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, you, it's funny. You touched on the same thing that struck me was when he says, "What's well, not about me?" Yeah, yeah, it is about you. Sure, it is. It is about you because I mean, you're the you're the only thing that's left from that. You're that, the face that run, and you are the face of the team, uh, and you're the best player on the team. And uh, you, this team has a, and you're the best player having the best season. Uh, and if this team is going to run, make a run to the championship, which they clearly have a chance to do. Yes, Harden's going to have to contribute significantly, and the other guys are going to have to do their part. But it's going to—a lot of it's going to fall on you in those, mm-hmm. in those big games and in those big moments. You have to look to the to your best player, and it's him. Let me ask you quick. Let's let's do a, a four. We'll wrap it around. 
face of the Phillies is that's easy. Bryce Harper. Yeah, and that's good. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. Face of the Eagles, Jason Kelsey. Interesting. Okay. Not too often when you would say a center is yeah. the face of his football team. I was going to say Nick, but I sure Kelsey. I'm good with Kelsey. Yeah. Um, face of the Flyers. It would, well, have to, it, would have, easy... it would have to be Giroux. No, it's not. Well, no, sure it is. It's gritty. I mean, huh? It's gritty. Oh. It is. But yeah, it is. Yeah, it is, which is part of the problem. Yes, but it is. And face of the Sixers is, is Embiid. So I can live with three of the four. <laughs> <laughs> I love him as the face of the franchise. No, no, he's perfect. And he, and he, he fully, I mean, he embraces it in, yes. in, in his own way. And, and he, he likes the fans. He enjoys the energy. He's He gets it. You know, he, he really gets it. And you just hope. You know, I mean, they've really kind of got the pieces in place now to do something really special this year. You know, you just hope that, you know, he doesn't go go down. Oh, you know? gosh, that is always the fear. I mean, that, that, I that does seem to be the way things work here in Philadelphia. But if they can keep everybody, if they can keep this team together and continue to improve and work hard into the offense, it's going to be very hard for anybody to beat them in a best of seven. Yeah, and Joel, Joel has to put together a really strong playoff run. Mm-hmm. There's pressure on him in the postseason to show what he can do. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that, that, that will serve this team very well in the playoffs is, man, they can shoot foul shots. Yes. They, yes. they, they are deadly from the foul line. Yes. I mean, and, and Those top three guys that we talked about are all, I think, all over 80%. Yeah, and, and how many in, in, the, in the playoffs, there's so, many, there's so much time spent at the foul line, and how many games are won and lost by teams in the fourth quarter that can't make foul shots? Yeah. These guys shoot fouls better than any team yeah. in the league. Harden's going to have games where he's like 14 for 16 from the line. Yeah, and Embiid's going to be Embiid's <laughs> going to be shooting anywhere between 15 and 20. <laughs> and the games will last about four hours. Yeah, but that's okay. That's If you win it, it's great. Fred in Haddonfield is on with Ray and Glenn. Hi, Fred. Hi. So, Ray, I idolize you, and the only reason I do is because you can hold two or three different points of view at the same time. I don't know where you learned how to do that, but you, I don't know if it's in your genes or if it's something you worked on, but uh, you're very good at that. Well, yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to interpret what you mean. Are you are you suggesting when I hold two different points, are you saying I talk out of both sides of my mouth? No, no, no. It's just that you're not stuck on your opinion as the only way to look at things. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. You're, it's, you're yeah. not locked into. I, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you're not locked into, you know, looking at things as if, you know the only truth. No, no, and, and and listen, Fred. One thing about and anybody that's listened to me on the radio knows this. I have no problem saying when I'm wrong. If I make a mistake, I'll be the first one to say, "Hey, I, I was dead wrong on that." So that, that's actually pretty easy to do. I mean, we, yeah. nobody's well, nobody's perfect. Easy. That's easy, but to hear to hear different points of view and not have to hang up on somebody takes a, something, and I don't know what it is. Oh, I appreciate that, Fred. Thanks. Yeah. You've never um, met Roy, didn't you, have you? No. Well, he comes out every once in a while. Just stay tuned. My evil twin, but yes. that's okay. Go ahead. What's uh, what's your thoughts on uh, Harden? Okay, so what I what I think is, and, you know, there's going to be different points of view, but I think that um, Harden's got to run the team. And even though Embiid's your, your man, I think Harden understands spacing. He understands where people need to be, who needs to shoot. And if you don't let him control, be the controller, the quarterback on the team, you're just going to frustrate him and burn him out. And that, that is how you have one opinion and 
not not two. <laughs> so I'm very strong on how I feel about this. And, and I watched it last night when Harden tried to tell Embiid to take a step down towards the basket, and Embiid took it to mean I should take a step forward so you can give me the ball. Like, he missed the whole point. Harden was trying to space out people so that they could beat the zone. And and B not playing basketball since he's five years old, you know, doesn't have the best grasp on all the fundamentals to team playing. Uh, and okay, I, I, I we gotta let you go. I mean, I kind of agree with some. Yeah, of what I said. think I, I I I do. I know I know what he's saying, but um, it's it, it it works both ways. And you're going to see this team. You're going to see this team get better by the night. I mean, by the game. The more time they get to play together, the more they're going to understand each other's where each guy needs to be, where each guy wants the ball. But um, it, it actually is. It you know, Embiid knows where he wants to get the ball. I mean, he knows where he's effective, and he knows where he needs to be, and he knows when I get here. Here's where here's where I want to be when I get the ball. That's what Harden's going to have to learn. Yeah. This isn't for Harden to tell Embiid where to be. Embiid knows where he has to be to be effective. It's up to Harden to figure out where that spot is and get him the ball when he gets there. Yeah. After four games, by the way, pretty good so far. Oh, I would say so. The fact that all those two plus Maxi have all averaged over 25 points a game for those first four games. They've all each scored over 20 in every single game. Yeah, and I remember that. Never the, happened in the history of the NBA, they say. No, and I remember, I, I don't know if it was the Minnesota game or the first New York game. But I remember seeing Embiid interviewed after it was over, where Embiid said, I, I never had a game where I had so many easy shots, yes. right, where I had so many great looks. And I think that's just going to be the case I most loved, nights. I, we got to hit the break here. But I love what Allah Abdelnabi said. It wasn't last night, but it was one of the other games. He said, Harden doesn't just pass it to you. He puts it in your pocket. Puts it in your pocket. I love that it's line. Great, it's a great way of describing it. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, his, uh, his teammate, Kate Scott, is going to join us around 1125. 215-592-9494. Um, Ray, we like to – Discuss all of the sports, all of the teams. Mm -hmm. Would you allow me to take a step back from Sixers Flyers in the next segment and just vent about the horribleness? I'm not even going to rant about baseball today because we'll wait till it comes back. Right. I got to rant about that fraud of a sham of a hockey team. Uh, okay. Okay. We'll do that. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP. These three have come after turnovers. There's another one, and Fiala's shot knocked down by Ristolainen in front. Looks like Fiala's around a lot of those turnovers, too, doesn't it? Here's Brodina's shot. Score! Not sure if it deflected, but Hart couldn't get it. And for the first time tonight, the Minnesota Wild had the lead. It's 5-4. All right, Ray, I don't, I don't want to make the people suffer, and I don't want to bore the people who are fed up with hockey or don't care about hockey. But I do, and I almost feel a civic responsibility, and I believe you share my point, mm -hmm. that you cannot let this horribleness escape unnoticed. Right. And that they need to be called, and not just they, by the way, I'm going to call the media on the carpet too, need to be called on the carpet because I, I don't know, you've been doing this longer than I have. I've only lived in this town for 36 years. I don't know that I've ever seen a franchise become so irrelevant. Even when the Sixers were horrible going through the process, people cared about them, people talked about them. People, it was, it yeah, was a people, debatable issue. Yeah, people talked about the process. Right. As low as the Phillies had gotten over some of those years, they were never invisible, irrelevant, just a total mock. And that's what you have now as the Flyers had another third period collapse. And people, you know, people say, why do you still bother to talk about the Flyers? And it's because I'm offended 
that one of our four major historic franchises with a proud history has a tendency that has evaporated. I showed you that picture earlier today of the crowd in that Minnesota game. Yeah. It was... they, they declared there were 13,000 people there. No way. There were 3,000 people there. It was, it was ridiculous. You can ignore it, and you can make a joke about it. The players themselves have obviously quit. Right. Um, the, co- or, the coach finally acknowledged that this week. Right. Or you can be infuriated about it. And I choose the latter. Okay. And it also really, it bothers me just how despicably bad they are. It also bothers me, and I, and I, and I got to call it out, that the Inquirer and the TV stations, they don't really cover it. They, you, get, you get this stupid, irrelevant game stories and quotes from the coach. Like, who cares the day after about, you know, the, the, the play-by-play of the second period, for God's sakes. Right. Thank God for our friend Anthony Sanfilippo, who really does delve deep into the dead rot and the misguidedness, misguided priorities of this organization. Everybody else covers it like it's, oh, it's just another Thursday night game. And, yeah, by the way, the hockey editor for the Inquirer lives in Connecticut or Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. The editor doesn't even live in town. How in the world are they How are they trying to cover a franchise with an editor who doesn't even live here? I know. That's... You're an old newspaper guy. Do me a favor. Back me up on oh, this. I've never heard of such a thing. I think it's outrageous. When I, heard, when I heard it, I thought it was – when somebody told me that that was the case, that the sports editor of the Inquirer lived in Boston <laughs> – I said, you're, you're kidding me, right? I mean, you really are kidding me, right? No, I'm not. Yeah. That's the sor- that is the sorry state. And I've, you know, I feel really bad for, I, listen, I spent my whole life with newspapers in Philadelphia. And I was proud to be part of it because it was a great industry and we did great work. Uh, and it makes me really sad when I see what it is today because it is pitiful. Yeah. Well, we're talking about two things. Yeah, no. Right. right. The hockey franchise is and the newspaper that and by the way, there are many talented people at that newspaper. We have them on as guests. We like them. I still I subscribe to it. But the guidance that you're allow that that this kind of horror you have a franchise this horrible and you have people writing like it's just a game story and never delving into it. Yeah, the, nobody nobody takes the, nobody looks at the bigger picture. Right. The bigger picture is the story. The Flyers did a town hall this last week, which by the way, good for them. At least they're you know they're they're starting to open it up a little bit, uh, and they invited season ticket holders to come and ask questions. Um, the, none of the none of the papers the media wasn't allowed. But I mentioned Anthony Sanfilippo, right, right. And, of uh, Snow the goalie, and he did a smart thing. He asked season ticket holders, he said, "Do me a favor when you go in, turn on your phone, record it, and I'll hear it." And he printed what the questions were. Right. Some of them were great. Some of them were a little irrelevant. Somebody was all upset about Kate Smith. Still, it's like. Let's move on from that. But but there were very direct questions. And the fan base is evaporating. The fan base that is left is and should be incredibly mad at what this team has become. And um, that's my two minutes of giving it attention. Well, Thank I think you. you did a good job. I, uh, that, that was my vent. No, no listen, that's, and everything you said is, is 100% correct. I can't challenge anything you said. Um, and I was thinking about it. I was thinking about that very thing. I was thinking about the way they're covered, the way people don't talk about them. And what struck me was I, I thought, you know, if they, it's almost as if they're a minor league team mm-hmm. playing in a major league city. And, you know, you've got you know, the Sixers are a major league team, the Phillies are a major league team, the Eagles are a major league team, and the Flyers are a minor league team. Yeah. And they're being treated like a minor league team. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at it, 
they are a minor league team. They really are a minor league team playing in a major league building. And what's really appalling about it, and, and this is part of it, is you watch them now and you don't even feel like you're getting a good effort. I mean, we've seen. No, we've, no, they've, they've quit. We've seen bad teams. Lord knows we've seen bad teams in this town. But for the most part, they're bad teams that at least have given you a good effort. This team isn't even doing that. No. Uh, and you look at what they are right now. I mean, they are they are really sad. I mean, the Edmonton game. There were a few more people at the Edmonton game because I think people yeah, kind of want to see the, they want to see McDavid. They want to yeah. see Connor McDavid, who's right. a superstar. And this and the and the Flyers hung with them for a while. And Carter Hart played his butt off. Yeah. But they wind up they can't score a goal and they wind up losing. Yeah, and then, and then the other night against and then Thursday night against Minnesota, there's like nobody in the building. And they blow the lead, and they wind up losing the game. And whatever people were there, and I was watching at the end, whatever people were there, they were booing. I mean, there might have only been 3,000 people in the building, but <laughs> but every one of them was booing at yeah. the end. That's what the team has become. Yep. As I said, dead rot. That's what it is. All right. That, that was my vent, and thank you for letting me do it. Let me get to Mike, and then we'll get to Patrick. Mike, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. Good. So I just want to talk about um, Maxi and his progress. I'm absolutely thrilled with how he's doing. Um, I would kind of put him in there with Devin Booker um, because they both went to Kentucky, and they really weren't expected to ever develop into what they are. Um, and I really think hmm. the sky's the limit for this kid. He can really develop into um, one of the greats. And when I say that, I, I really mean it because – I'm not just saying it as like a Philly fan. I, I think that he has the potential too because he's mirroring off of Embiid. He's mirroring off of um, Harden, and he's contributing a lot. Yeah, and um, it frees him up to do what he what he does best. Um, so I, I, I hear you. I, I agree with you on that. And, and I've never seen anyone in my life that can move like him. The speed and the um, the shiftiness and, and driving into one gear to the next is is incredible. Instant energy. Ray, by the way, right? who is this town's biggest Tyrese Maxey fan? Someone you know well. <laughs> oh, I know very well. Amy Fadul. Oh, yeah. She's, uh, come on, oh, she, I'm watching her on postgame last a, night. She's a Kentucky oh, Wildcat. Bubbling up. Oh, yeah. She's a Kentucky Wildcat. Oh, yeah. And listen, give yeah, we gotta um, get We, we got to talk to her one day. A little yeah, we should. We should yeah, get, we'll get Amy. Get she's, she's always fun. What, what Amy, a, if you're out there, we want to talk to you. What a, what a delightful person. God, I love I love working with Amy. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, she, she well, she went to U.K. She went she went to Kentucky. And every, yeah, every she hasn't mentioned that more than about a thousand times. Yeah, well, she was on. Listen, she she when the Tyrese Maxey, when the bandwagon appeared, she was behind the wheel. OK, <laughs> and no, no big surprise. But you know what? The thing is, he's living up to everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's great. He's great. Patrick in Tabernacle. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Guys, good morning. Hey. Uh, yeah, I was laughing. <clears throat> Glenn, I, I appreciate it. I'll talk about the Flyers here, but I, I actually called up earlier and I asked to talk to uh, Roy Dinger about the Flyers, you know, and um, <laughs> but Glenn, it it's you. You were very poetic. Um, yeah. I wish I had rage and I wish I had fury that I could unleash upon the flyers. Well, see, but that's, that's my, see, and that's my problem is what they've done is their horribleness and their misguidedness and the lack of critical media coverage has just made everybody apathetic. Yeah. And that's, that's what yeah. I can't abide by. And, and I got a phone call. I want to apologize to the person who called um, out of the blue. I'm working. I get a phone call. I answer it. And it's someone with the flyers trying to sell tickets. And I, and I laughed. 
like I, I laughed like it was so funny. Felt bad because you know, like here's someone just trying to do some, some. Yeah, you know, imagine, I, and, imagine and, having and, that and as I your think, job right now, right? Yeah. I, I know, I know, and it really hit me. And and you know what really hit me too is, and I've said this before. I believe the Flyers died with uh, Mr. Snyder because it appears that what I always could count on with the Flyers, I can no longer count on. And that's like you know, win or lose, you're going to go there. You're going to see competitiveness. You're going to see. You know, I hate to use that term, and Glenn, you know, you, you saw grit, and, and gritty has become the face of the franchise. Yeah, which, I went and bought – it It took me two years to get my granddaughter to like the darn gritty uh, dot, and now she loves it. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that. Let's, let's move off it. of that before I, I become it. Roy Didinger, now and Ray. The, the, I, I'd like you to respond to, to what – yeah, thanks, Patrick. Respond to what he said about the this – when Snyder left, so did the soul of the team is kind of what he said. Oh, I think that's true. I think that's true. I mean, it, you know, Ed, um, he didn't do everything right, you know, and, and in some ways when he was the owner, some ways he, he overreacted. If there's such a thing as overcaring, I mean, sometimes I think he did that. Um, he was always, you know, he was always chasing every year's cup at the end, trying to make that trade, trading young players, trading draft picks for, you know, players who were at the end of their career, you know, Dale Howard Chucks and people like that, trying to squeeze one more, run out of out of the nucleus and you know sometimes you know sometimes his impatience I think was counterproductive but the one thing you could never question with with Ed Snyder was his caring was his was the fact that I mean he had a million business interests and he was successful in pretty much all of them but his baby I mean his 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 heart was the Flyers that was that was for him that was where the whole Snyder empire began and um, and he was a guy that he, you know, he was the gatekeeper 24-7. And you don't have that now. I mean, you have a whole lot of people up running that team that have no real connection to the team. They have no sense of the team's history uh, and have tried to, in their way, try to build a new identity for the team. And the one that they've built is unwatchable. And it's an absolute affront to, to the old Flyers. Old Flyers fans, they can't watch this team. The people that really supported this team, the people that were the hockey fans, they can't. They they've turned their back on this team because they can't go out every night and watch a team put on those jerseys and perform the way this team performs. So, you've lost those people, and I don't know if you're ever going to get them back. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. They're not getting new ones either. No. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. I see some of our friends in there. We will get you guys coming up. Uh, and we're going to talk to Kate Scott at eleven twenty five. Um, but coming up next this week in Philadelphia sports history, it's a good one. Ray does turn into Roy. <laughs> I promise. A ninety four WIP. They give to McCoy. Ray, can you name that game in one note? The clue <laughs> I'll give you is one of the favorite games I ever went to with my with both my sons. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, that was uh, Eagles Detroit Lions at the link, a December game, in which uh, the gentleman that you heard highlighted on that bite, Shady McCoy, set the franchise record for rushing yards in a game, broke the record held 
set and held for all those years by the great Steve Van Buren. Yeah, it was just a great game, fun game in the snow. Loved it. And it comes up today because this week in Philadelphia Sports History, brought to you by Scheib Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or ScheibSports.com. Best caller of the day gets a $50 gift card to Scheib Sports. So here's the deal. Uh, it, this is not the anniversary of him performing that game. No. This is a less auspicious anniversary, or more auspicious, because it was seven years ago yesterday that the Eagles' Chip Kelly traded Shady McCoy, LaShawn McCoy, the NFL's leading rusher uh, two years before that, to the Buffalo Bills for a linebacker who missed the entire 2014 season. Do you remember his ignominious name? <laughs> Sure, Kiko Alonso. Yeah, what do you remember about his great career? Um, I remember the first time I saw him, um, and I said, "Really? That's a, <laughs> that's, that's that's a linebacker." Oh, he must have loved that. Well, no, I didn't say that to him. I, what I was thinking, um, yeah. because uh, I mean, I knew who he was, and I had seen him play in college, but to see him out of a uniform and just in street clothes. I mean, he was little. He was a little he guy. He was really little. And he was and, and very easily forgettable. By the way, so I was looking this up yesterday, and there's a second half to this, which is even more funny. But uh, the day the trade was made, I looked at stories that were written the day of the trade. You know I'm not a particularly big fan of ProFootballFocus.com. Y- yes, you've mentioned that. Okay. And, and listen, we all make dumb statements. I, if you look through the history of my Twitter feed— Oh, I have more than my share, usually involving my belief in Carson Wentz, well, but whatever. We've been on the air for an hour. We've probably made three or four. Yes, but the day that this was done, Pro Football Focus, Rick Drummond said, Eagles win McCoy Alonzo trade. Oh, good Lord. They actually said that? <laughs> yes, they did. Anyway, things fell apart I after I that. Glenn, I can't imagine what they were thinking. I don't know. What things. Were they well, they were thinking that he was done. Like, 28-year-old running back is when and they were Kiko Alonzo wasn't? Well, I... I don't want to litigate oh, that. Yeah, I want yeah, to get yeah, to the yeah. second part I, of it. I'm sorry. I'm like, go, on, go on, go on. Yeah, so things fell apart after that. The Eagles signed two free agents, DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews, and right. not, that, neither of those really worked out. But that was only the prelude because one week after that, March 10th, which the anniversary would be this Friday, I guess, the Eagles made a trade with the Rams. They traded Nick Foles for Sam Bradford. No, they didn't. They traded Nick Foles and a second-round pick right. for Sam Bradford. And what everybody remembers about that deal is this is back when Comcast Sportsnet, man, they're covering this stuff live. Right. And so it was the opening of the season, free agency, all that stuff. So there's Neil Hartman and you. And Barrett Brooks. And Barrett Brooks. Okay, I'm, I, Ray, I, wanted to, I spent an hour yesterday looking for this clip, <laughs> and I couldn't find it. I just could not find the clip. I had um, Jack Fritz look through the WIP files. He couldn't find this clip, so we're gonna re- we're gonna do it now. Okay, uh, okay. I'll be Neil Hartman, and this is by the way no shot at Neil Hartman. He's no, doing no, no. his job. Right. Okay, Neil says, "Well, it certainly looks when when Chip Kelly, by the way, traded Lashawn for Kiko Alonso, mm-hmm. and then trades Nick Foles for heroic Nick Foles for." Nick Foles and a two, excuse me, for Sam Bradford. Right. You know how you feel about Sam Bradford. Mm-hmm. Neil Hartman says, wow, it looks like the mad scientist is at work. That's correct. Ray? <laughs> well, at that point, I had pretty much parted ways with Chip Kelly. <laughs> I, I was not, and, and most of the media in town, most of the media in town, they were still believed that Chip was all that. They believed that Chip was the smartest coach 
because he told them that he was the smartest coach. Uh, and I wasn't buying it. And I, I saw what was happening with the team. I saw some of the moves that he was making. This was after he had taken over all the football decision-making. And I just thought he was in way over his head, maybe without even realizing it. And so the whole idea that this people are talking about he's the mad scientist as, as, as being praised. This is, you know, he, he's that far ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And um, my response to that was, well, the problem is sometimes the mad scientist blows up your house. <laughs> and that was, that was my, and there was sort of the silence on the set. Nobody knew quite what to say as a follow-up to that. But that was kind of how I felt about it. I mean, if, to make some of the moves that he made, and remember, he had already at this point let Deshaun Jackson walk yep. for nothing. Uh, chased him out. Yeah. Uh, More than let him walk. It basically besmirched him and chased him out. So he, so he basically dismantled what was really a very explosive offense and got very little in return. And then trades Nick Foles, who was a guy who had one for this team and had one for him, for a lame-armed Sam Bradford who came in with a $15 million contract. It made no sense. High completion percentage. Oh, extremely high completion percentage. All those four-yard passes. Yeah, I think you still got the team record for completion percentage. Yeah, which is offensive. Which, uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that is this week in Philadelphia sports history, presented by Shot Sports. Hey, listen, Sam's a wealthy young man. Wherever he is, sitting with his feet up back in Oklahoma somewhere, he's got a lot of money. He he and Chase Daniel probably talk on the phone like, how much money you got for for playing pro? Oh, I got a lot. How about you? All right. Any other comments on those uh, on those moves? Uh, no. Uh, okay. you know, one thing about Shady McCoy, I, I, this, people probably haven't really thought about this, but you know, Shady McCoy is still the last thousand yard rusher the Eagles have. Oh, I'm very well aware. They haven't had the same rusher two years in a row, basically. I, I will. I, I have the list right here. I'm sure you okay. do. Yeah, the, the list this year. Because J- why would Ray not have a yellow legal pad? Quickly at his disposal with the Eagles rushers. Go ahead. The last, the Some last, people might look it up online, but you've got it written down. We are in an era now where 1,000-yard rushers are not exactly that extraordinary. 17 you know, games. Yeah, you you got, averaged less, what, 58 yards yeah. a game or something. There was a time when a 1,000-yard season was a very big deal. That was reserved for the Jim Browns and the Jim Taylors of the world. Okay, that's That ain't the case anymore. You're playing 17-game season, so 1,000 yards is not that extraordinary. you got to go back to 2014. To find the last thousand yard, the thousand yard season for the Eagles, and only one player has won it back to back. But I'll, gi- I'll give you, the, I'll, I'll give you the list. Yeah. Okay. Jalen Hurts was your leading rusher this year. Yeah. Miles Sanders the two years before that. Yeah. But just in the eight hundreds. Right. Before that, Josh Adams. Then Josh Adams. Josh. God, I don't even remember it. <laughs> Josh Adams. Josh Adams. Twenty eighteen. Boy, the, that's a great trivia question. The year after Super Bowl. He led the team with 500 Wow. You know what? Yards. You could ask 100 people who led the Eagles in rushing the year they won the, the after, year after, after they won the Super Bowl. I'm telling you, not two in 100 would get that. Give it a try. You can try, I guarantee you will probably win, but the answer is Josh Adams okay. with 511. Then the Super Bowl year was LeGarrette Blunt. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, then the year then the year before that was Ryan Matthews. The year before that was DeMarco Murray. Then you go back to 2014. It was Shady McCoy. Isn't that extraordinary? It's extraordinarily bad. Yeah, I don't know that. I don't know. Uh, that you could do that with any other team in the league. Interesting to see what's going to happen with Sanders this coming year. Yeah. Okay. Hey, it's our friend Linda from Bala. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. It always brightens our day, and it always brightens the day of the Delaware Valley when we hear from you. Well, that is too cool for school. Um, I'm a very positive person, but I have to tell you, 
Um, I have been following hockey since the Ramblers. Hey, you and, and me both. You and me long, both. I was I was an old Rambler fan. Yeah. Oh, thank you, darling. Because, of course, the young kids don't know who the heck I'm talking about. No, they but don't. You do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I went to their parade. The first one was the most grooviest thing in the world. I just I was drinking champagne at uh, Torelli's. <laughs> Uh, downtown is 13th Street. Oh, my goodness, I had a good time. Um, but anyway, the, the Flyers, uh, I hear they still have 10 guys out. Will you please tell me why all this time, all year, they're still hurt? What is going on? Do you know? Uh, I don't, but I know that when they had those town halls uh, in the last week, uh, somebody who visited them asked the the general manager asked somebody, like, what, what's the deal with all the injuries? I don't want to point fingers at the training staff, but hello. And the answer was, yeah, we're going to look into that. But, but I don't know what other answer. You, they're not going to say, yeah, our training staff stinks, right? They're not going to say that. Uh, well, I can't look at it. How many leads can you blow? I don't look at the games. Yeah. I look at the highlights because well, I have it over here. Yeah, you're not Number alone. two. My baseball is breaking my heart. You know, I, I, I don't know if I told you, Glennie. I meant to call and tell you. I got all my sports back finally this week. Oh, that's I had, great. I had the money to do it. It's not cheap anymore, you no. know. No. Nope. But I had the money to do it, and I was all excited. And the day I got the sports back is the day they decided. <laughs> All, after all their meetings, that they weren't going to have baseball. Yeah, uh, I don't know who's trying to break who's back, but it's pretty disgusting. It's it's terrible, and I blame the owners. But here's here's the bottom line, Lenny. Here's the good news: you're going to have some great Sixers games to watch every other night, every third night for the next couple of months. And and you know what? It's Linda, so I'm going to be optimistic. And as that parade is going down Broad Street, right with with. <laughs> Joel Embiid riding shotgun. That'll be the day they'll announce that baseball's coming back. So you'll be okay. Well, I was getting to the Sixers, and then I'll go because I know you're pretty busy. I'm glad they didn't trade uh, Tyrese Maxey, the little energizer bunny, because, boy, would I miss him doing what he's doing. I love you. Take care. Len, we love you. Always a pleasure. He is going to be everybody's favorite player, right? Yeah, especially we had the one caller that said that there are so many kids at the games now. Yeah, and I guarantee all the kids love Maxie. Yeah, he's he's young, he's small, he's not right. small, but he's smallish compared to other guys. Right, and he's just got so much energy, and, and he's he wears, got that smile, and he wears a cool number. You know what, Ray? If I was like in the business, I would find uh, if if I had a business and I'm looking for an, an, the next endorser, mm-hmm. he's my guy. Yeah, and he seems very—he he seems like a kid that's just really oh, having a lot of fun. Yeah, and he seems like he's a people person, he's yeah. a good personality. Yeah, I mean, he could do big things in this town. He really could. Very bubbly guy, Jack in Santa Barbara, the dude. You know what, Jack? You got a draft question. Let's start with draft question. I want to get a little draft in here. Yeah, but first, I want to say they like Linda back back when it was journalistic. Philadelphia is when I left it. You've been there longer than me, Glenn, but I, I was there when it was all papers. Yeah. They they would have given her a column in in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good. 
Linda out of the bleachers would have been yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah. People would have would have stood in line and go, "I got to get my Linda." Yeah. <laughs> Linda would have Linda would have been must reading. I agree with that. Totally. Yeah, and Ray, when they give you the ovation, can you send some west, not just across the Atlantic? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you get your award. Glenn said it, the ovation is going to Oh, go it's going to be huge. I'm telling you. Yeah, so, they're going to so go, and we give the coach of the year to Zach Taylor. It's like, yeah, okay, good, good. Oh, that's nice. Ben, and ben, well, hold on a second. Hold on. And, well, you know, the Gorovich Young, uh, Alabama. Yeah. And we give the Red <laughs> Bag Nell Award to Ray Dinger. <laughs> <laughs> the roof blows. Ben, it's at Harris, ben, right? Harris. Roof ben, blows ben, off of Harris, Ray. <laughs> You're going to have your crowd there. I mean, Jonathan Taylor. He's a great player. Hey, he's from South Jersey. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. He'll, yeah, he'll yeah. get people. That's he's right. right. Yeah, he's right. going to get a big Yeah, yeah you'll yeah. still get bigger. Yeah. Anyway, what so, do you got in the draft? Let's go draft. Okay. So, Ray, I, I'm looking at these guys, and they're all thoroughbreds now. And I'm wondering, you know, looking at, 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 at their track times, are, are they setting up where – you know, in the fourth quarter when Aaron Rodgers and, and quarterbacks can throw the ball long, throw it up like a Hail Mary, and they, and they work the ref into the, in, in, into the defense not having a prayer to stop those guys, and they get, they get a pass interference call. And also, should the Eagles be – risky enough to grab a running back and make uh, 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 Ike Reese happy and grab the kid from Michigan State because <laughs> – All right, well, hold on. There's a lot going on there. First all right. of all, Ray. Yes. It, the speed. Jack is referencing the speed uh, at, at this combine. That he's, you know, now it used to be a four two forty was like a big deal. Yeah, then that's still a big deal. Four two. Uh, a lot but, of guys doing it. Four uh, two ish. But there are a lot of guys. Not as many as now. I mean, you had this this year. They had eight guys run sub four four, which is crazy. Which is yeah, that's crazy. Uh, that's crazy because it's not really a fast track at Indianapolis. People have said that no. before. It's not like it's a super fast track. So if you have Eight of your wide receivers are running sub four four. They're flying now. The only question, and, and I don't doubt this. I don't doubt the times. I think the times are accurate. But the question is, it always can they, comes, can it, they run it, routes? Well, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. It always comes back to the same thing. Yeah, they can run, but can they? Got to run, Jack. Can they play? Can they play? Can they catch? Can they? Can they make the big? Can they? Can they run the slant on third and five and catch the ball and hold on to it? Um, you know, that's. I mean, the speed is great. Speed is absolutely great, but you got to be able to play the game, and you got to be able to run good routes and catch the football, and that's what we'll find out about these guys. But they're in terms of just the stopwatch. If you're a stopwatch scout, and I know there are a lot of people that are, man, they had you drooling this week because they were flying down that track. You know what I think every time I see one of those guys? What's that? Uh, there's the next pick of the Raiders. Oh yeah, <laughs> I just whoever the fastest guy is. Oh, the Raiders—they're still going for that. Yeah, Darius Haywood Bay. I mean, yeah. I still remember him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they drafted him. Like they had the seventh overall pick, and they drafted Darius Haywood Bay, who just because he ran a super fast forty. Yeah. Al Davis loved those guys. Yeah, and he couldn't. As play, does his son with the bad haircut? And he couldn't play a lick. By the way, do we agree? Mm. What's that? Uh, Junior Davis. What's his first name? Mark. Mark. Thank you. Worst haircut in the United States. Yeah, it's right there. I mean, you're a wealthy guy. You're a multi, multi, multi millionaire, and you put a bowl on your head. Yeah. 
That's all I got. You would think there's better hairstylists in Las Vegas, wouldn't you? Yes. You certainly think so. Yeah, I mean, you like have to try to look that bad. I am not one to talk much about hair. I'm, as you may know, not somebody who's like got a lot to show off here. But I know a bad haircut when I see it. What did you think of the old man's haircut? You know, Al had Al always had that slick back. Yeah, you know, Al that's... seemed to me like he combed his hair with buttered toast. Right. I mean, it was really. It was, it was a lot of lot of brill cream. It was a very, they, people it, used to use brill cream. It was a, it was it was a very fifties look. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. he was fifties Brooklyn ducks ass. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, I always expected whenever I saw, I always figured that he had a pack of cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve of his t shirt <laughs> and a switchblade. He, he just he just had that look in his about jeans him. pocket. Yeah, I, I just felt like I was. I, where's what? Where's the rest of West Side Story? Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get John in Jersey here. Hey, John. Hey guys, what's up? First of all, Ray, I've been a Philly sports fans since the late 60s. You have given so much pleasure reaching down on the doorstep, grabbing a newspaper, and reading some of the stuff you've written. Just want to congratulate you. You are the Jim Murray of Philadelphia sports, as they say. <laughs> wow. Well, Jim Murray won a Pulitzer Prize, so I, I don't think I'm playing in his league. But I appreciate I appreciate the kind words, John. Oh, you're not getting a Pulitzer next week? I, I got confused. Sorry uh, about no, that. no. I, I think th- I think that ship <laughs> sailed already. But thank you anyway. <laughs> All right. I, I- Confession. You know, I'm a big hoop guy. My son's going to play college basketball somewhere next year. I coach. And I love Ben Simmons' game when he was coming out of college. I love the fact that he was going to make passing cool again. I just made a major misjudgment, though. And I want to talk about what's changed. And when you think about it, guys used to come out of college and they all had a hole in their game. Michael, Magic, Bird, Charles, Patrick. And what they did is they worked on their game. Every summer they worked on a new move, a new play, something to make them better, not only because they love the game, because they made more money. The better you got, the more money you made. What's changed now is the salary cap and max contracts exposes whether a player loves the game. Because now in the summer to get better, it doesn't matter. You're maxed out. You got your max contract. If you don't get better, your financial situation may not change. In fact, there could be an incentive for you to work on your business in the summer post-basketball career if you're really only focused on the money. And it became obvious, and it's simple now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I agree because I've I've heard the complaint for my entire life that guys used to love the game. Now they just play for the money. Now they're the – and I I think that great players are incentivized by greatness – I, I don't say that it's just about money, but what happens with the current structure, you find out very quickly if some Joel Embiid's not playing for the money, he's going to make the money, but he loves the game. You can see it in his joy. Yeah, I think those can be two different That's things. True, yeah, I think and and thanks. I think you can love the money and and play for the money, but also love the game. I don't I don't think those are mutually exclusive. And I know what he's trying to say. Yeah, but I found it. I read a quote like a couple months ago from an old player, an old baseball player. And he said, you know what the problem is? The problem is today, kids coming up, they don't play for the love of the game, the love of the sport. They play for their salaries. Mm-hmm. And you know who that quote was from? It was from Rogers Hornsby in <laughs> 1930-something. Yeah. People have been saying, I, when I was a kid, people used to say it about athletes in the 70s. Yeah, exactly. I've heard it in the A. Oh, free agency. Now they just play for the money. It's 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 the it's a trope that goes on forever, and and I believe that truly the great ones play because they want to be great. Yes, yes, I think that's true. I, I think that um, his his point was um, 
that those the players that came out of college had holes in their game and they worked to get better at. You know, Magic Johnson wasn't a great outside shooter, but he mm -hmm. made himself into a really good one. You know, Michael Jordan, same way. Um, and it really didn't have any, especially with, with, with those two guys, it really didn't have anything to do with making more money. They wanted to be the best. They wanted to be the best. They and wanted, they were driven hey, to be the best. We saw that with Jordan with every single second of that 10-part documentary. Let's take a break. We come back. We're going to talk to Kate Scott, Sixers TV broadcaster, Ray and Glenn, Saturday on 94 WIP. You know, if you're a Philly sports fan, you need to check out my friends at Scheib Vintage Sports. They're your home for throwback sports apparel in Philadelphia. Locally owned, Scheib carries name brands as well as original designs by Philadelphia artists, and they, they have all those touchstones of that all Philadelphia sports fans understand and love. The Philadelphia A's, Veterans Stadium, Prism, Franklin Field, all those wonderful things, they're all represented at Scheib Vintage Sports. So the next time that you need some new gear for a game or you're looking for that perfect gift, and aren't we always, Head over to Scheib Vintage Sports. You can visit them at 13th and Walnut in Center City. You go in that shop, you can just get lost in there all day. There's so much cool stuff. Or you can go online to ScheibSports.com. And when you do, tell them that Ray sent you, and you will get 15% off. Garland has his pocket picked. Here comes Tyrese Maxey. Make it 31 for Tyrese Maxey. Well, that voice that you hear rather excited toward the end of the game last night is Sixers broadcaster Kate Scott. Does a great job with Allah Abdel Nabi. And we appreciate her joining us tonight because, and Ray, you and I kind of talked about the life of the player, but it's really the life of the broadcaster, too. You finished the game. The game was over, I don't know, 10? Right. I don't know what time you got on a flight, Kate. You got to fly into Miami, go get to a hotel, yeah. get up today, and do it all again. So we really appreciate you joining us today. It's my pleasure to be on with two legends like you. And I told you guys back when we first chatted back in September that I'm an idiot. So this is just case in points, um, you know, example number 10 or 11, trying to do a, what isn't an early morning interview, but feels like an early morning interview. Sure. Because, yeah, I didn't get to the hotel until 3 a.m. Oh, well, the Sixers were sleepwalking through the first half last night, right? De <laughs> defense optional and then turned it on. Uh, do we regard that as a good thing or that they could do it or a bad thing that it may cost them down the road? Uh, I'm going to go with both this morning. Um, I think it's great that they've been able to rally back the last couple of games. I'm rolling through all the cool nuggets and stats from last night. And on that note, the Sixers, obviously, down by 21 last night. They overcame a 16-point deficit to beat the Knicks on Wednesday. Uh, and those two games back-to-back, -back, it's the first time in 25 seasons that the Sixers have made up deficits of at least 15 in back-to-back -back wins. So that's great, right? But uh, I don't see them being able to come back from 16 or 21 down tonight against the first-place Miami Heat and be able to somehow find the energy late to get the win. So I, I think it's both. I think it's great that they've been able to do it, especially in the early days of the Harden era. Um, to find the resolve and to be able to come together like that after such slow start for back-to-back -back games. But but you guys know, it's only going to get tough, especially these next three games starting tonight. How telling do you think this game is going to be tonight, Kate? I mean, you don't want to overstate the importance of any regular season game right. in the NBA. But, but you know, you're, you're, you played a good Cleveland team last night. You had to spend a lot of energy to come back and win that game. And then, you know, the late flight, the travel, and now you got to go in and play a rested Miami team that's damn good. Um, you know, what, what do you think we could learn about the Sixers tonight that maybe we haven't learned before? Yeah. Um, 
I'm I'm going to try not to put too much stock into it as well, Ray. But but I'm with you because of everything you just said. Um, if they're able to to win tonight, especially uh, if Jimmy and PJ come back, because Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker, I'm sure you guys have already talked about this. Kyle Lowry uh, did not play in the Heat's win over Brooklyn a couple of nights ago. It sounds like two of those three guys are going to be back. So if they're somehow able to getting into the hotel at 3 in the morning after uh, a couple of really difficult wins over the Knicks and Cavs the last couple of days and come down here and, you know, punch the first-place team in the East in the mouth and get back up to Philly with a victory, I I think it's going to prove even more about what I was just talking about, the resolve, the resilience, the want to of this newly put-together club. Now, (laughs) I'm already thinking of all the excuses in my head if that doesn't happen because we all know teams – often get the, the South Beach flu, as I know it's called down here. Um, I don't expect the guys to, to have that tonight. I know they're focused right now. But but if if the legs start to give out on, the, on them a little bit and the heat kind of just get rolling in the first, I also won't be surprised. So, so I'm going to be paying attention and hoping for the best. But if things go poorly, not putting that much stock into it. We played a highlight coming into the segment uh, that you uh, had last night called a, uh, a highlight of um, Tyrese Maxey. And, boy, uh, his play has been fun all year. But wow. since Harden has come in, these last four games have been just a joy to watch. Uh, I'll toss you the softball question of why is it different? Why is it so much better now for Tyrese? Uh, because I think there's a lot less responsibility on his shoulders, right? Hey, Tyrese. Use your speed, use your athleticism, and be aggressive. Get downhill, kid. Um, I'm, I'm looking at something. I try, I'll try. i try not to get too into the weeds, but this just right before you guys called blew me away. So since James got here, he's averaging 27 points on 65% from the floor, 70% from three on at least five attempts a game, and 86% from the free throw line. He's shooting 70% from three because – he, he has so much space. Yeah. Uh, he said it, I think, after the Wednesday went over the Knicks. Because of my speed, he's really been working on that change of pace, which is so important in basketball, so that he slams on the brakes and lets them fly on by. So all of a sudden, the, the little space that he was already making buckets with in the first three quarters of the season, now it feels like a just a gaping, <laughs> vast cavern uh, between him and where his defender is because of the stop and start. And because of the attention and the gravity that that James and Joel have, so uh, he has said that it's easier. And now he's his his number one responsibility is, I think, his number one strength: use your speed, get downhill, and just go for it, kid. Yeah, he really he really is fun to watch. And you know, last night f- five for six, and you know, he had the first five and the sixth one rattled around, and probably should have been a basket, but bounced back out again. I mean, he was. He was definitely on point last night. You know, one of the things you were talking, we were talking about um, was what you can learn off of this game tonight, what you're going to kind of be looking for from this game tonight. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm kind of looking for is how the Sixers will attack Miami's zone because they zone a lot. And, uh, yeah. and, we've, and we've seen this was a problem with this team before Harden got here. Uh, we saw they had some problems with it last night against Cleveland. Uh, and now they're, going, they're, they're sure going to get a big dose of it tonight with Miami. And that's kind of what I'm going to be yeah. looking at and seeing. Because I really do think that Harden could be the great zone breaker for them. Once they've, really yeah. got the off, once they've got the offense really flowing, Harden's the kind mm-hmm. of guy that can get you out of that. 
but I think tonight's going to be a good test. Yeah, I completely agree. And and there was a number of frustrating moments last night. I'm sure you all were yelling at your TVs because Al and I were trying not to yell while we were calling the game about uh, how many open shots they had and then guys would pass them up. And I don't know if they were trying to be unselfish, right? And his teammate, no, no, you take the shot. No, no, you can have even, no, somebody just shoots the damn ball already. Um, but but yesterday morning uh, in, in the film session before shoot around, the big focus was this spacing and movement. And there were so many times where they were, they were stopping the film of the Knicks game saying, okay, if, if Matisse makes this cut right here, if Tobias makes this cut right here, Look, look how much easier things get for your teammates. And this is obviously as they were going on to beat the Knicks the other night. But, but I think what I'm trying to get at is they are just in the beginning stages because I completely agree with you. If anybody can be a zone breaker and, uh, yeah, we need to go to man right now, it's James Harden. So I think they are still, even though they've won the first four of James' tenure, I think they're still in the very beginning stages of figuring out the best ways to play and the best way to – not get frustrated by the cab zone because you're 100% spot on. Spolster teams, I mean, we, we know how disciplined and and well coached and, and well played the, the Miami Heat have been for a number of decades, yep. and, and that goes to because of the culture that they got down here. Yep. Kate Scott is our guest. You can follow her on Twitter at Kate T. Scott. Uh, and by the way, I, I heard you know, a week or so ago um, talk about how you ended up being staying up all night because you were watching old James Harden highlights from Oklahoma City. <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I think you said you went down that, that rabbit hole and you, and you didn't get I out. Did. Yeah, well, I, I'm very impressed. Um, just uh, I, one more from me, which is uh, not about the team, but about you. You're not, you're not a newbie anymore. You've been here since September. Um, the, it, it looks, fortunately, like kind of the world's opening up. We're getting out. We're getting together. What... What have you learned about Philadelphia, the people? What uh, I know you, your wife, the dog have settled in. How, how, what's, yeah. your, what's your view of the town? Gosh, we, just feel, we feel more and more fortunate every day, truly. Um, as the sun is starting to actually come out, mm-hmm. um, I, I just I try to get out at least a couple of times a day, walk in the pup, even on game days, and I, I just take moments and look around and – truly say aloud to myself, how lucky am I to be here? You guys know this. You've been here for a long time, but Philly is a phenomenal city um, with extremely passionate people that aren't just passionate about sports, passionate about your food and your drink and your friends and your just everything about it. And as we discussed back in I think September, October, that's who I've always been. Um, but, you know, growing up on the West Coast, the cities you come to are New York and Washington, D.C. Uh, you, you often, for some strange reason, I don't know why, kind of pass over Philly. And uh, Kate Fagan, my buddy, told me, who wrote the Inquirer and covered the Sixers years back, said, Honey, I think you're going to love the city. It is a hidden gem out here on the East Coast. The people, everything about it are just incredible. And uh, she was a truth teller because I – I'm not blowing smoke. I feel so fortunate to be here. My wife, who hates change, and I was just hoping she wouldn't hate it for the first six months she was here. Uh, she's really liking it, so um, I'm truly fortunate to be here. And hopefully, like I said, just going to be putting my head down and trying to get better each and every game and uh, hoping that we'll be here for a very long time. Uh, all right. 
no question, no question okay. about that. The la- last question from me, Kate. I think you, um, I think you you use the term "figure it out," and that's. Uh, I think they are kind of are at that point. And the one guy that I think that, that I think of most in those terms is Tobias Harris. Uh, yeah. where, do, where do you think ultimately in the grand design of Doc Rivers he will fit in here? What you know? How does you know? I think it's, it's clear that it's 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 working definitely with with Harden and Embiid. Uh, and it's certainly mm-hmm. working with Maxi, but Harris seems to be the one guy that's trying to figure out exactly where he fits in this puzzle. Where do you think it is? Yeah, and and I know last night was a frustrating night for everybody. You can see it on his face and Doc's face and Joel's face, and I'm sure fans were yelling at the TV like like we always are. Um, he was really under the weather last night, and I know nobody wants to use excuses like that, but uh, but I could tell he was really feeling bad. There's There's been a bug going around, and he was the latest to get it, but uh, – I think similar to Tyrese, and again, this is just my opinion, right? But like, he's best, and we've been saying it all season. And you all know when he gets downhill, and the past couple of games, he's been starting and then stopping, right? Starting and then hesitating a little bit. And we also know he loves kind of that little back to the basket, start nearish the low block turn and little fadeaway jumper. Those have been his kind of bread and butter go tos this season. So I'm hoping that they find that for him. I know that before I got here, he really liked to get out and run with Ben, and they they weren't really able to do that last night. And I know that Tyrese has been the benefactor of most of those, but I'm hoping that they can get him more in that, get Toby a couple of easy buckets, just transition, running the floor. And then I also think, as he said, and I think we all know, his production's probably going to go down a little bit. But as long as it's in wins, um, I think the, the game at MSG was the best kind of picture of that he scored in double figures he had the highest plus minus for people who follow that on the season he was he's plus 25 the best out of any sixer and he did just enough he, he had rebounds he had assists he was playing good defense he was in the double figures he did what they needed him to do and then just kind of cleared space for for joel and james and maxi to, to take care of business so i think it's not going to be easy because there's only one ball. There's a lot of dudes who want it, mm-hmm. uh, but that's how I see him. I, I don't know. Do you do you see, see similar or something different? Yeah, I think I think his role is less than it was, and they'll fit, and they got twenty. Mm-hmm. What do they got? Twenty, twenty-one games to figure it out. Yeah, and, twenty to go. Yeah, twenty yeah, to go. And I think but they will. He's been in the league for a long time, guys, yep. and uh, I think more than anything, he would love a championship. So if he scores, if he gives five and five and finishes plus twenty-two because he's playing good defense. I think you will be more than okay with that. Yeah, I'll live with that. Event. Yeah, we'll all live with that. Kate Scott, always yeah. a pleasure. Enjoy South Beast. Uh, we look forward to watching you tonight. Uh, call the game with Pleasure Allah. Mine. All right. Be Thanks well. Thanks for having me on, you guys. You Thanks, Kate. It. There you go. She does a good job. Listen, she does a really good job. And you and I talked about it. She came in. It's really tough. You replace a legend like Mark Zumoff, who did it for, I think, 26 years. Yep. And uh, you're walking into a new town where people don't know you, mm-hmm. and I think she's I think she's done very well. She's very watchable. Very she and and they have good chemistry. She and Allah. Yeah, she and Allah are really good together. Um, she clearly knows the game, uh, works at it. That's obvious. Uh, and um, and she's a good broadcaster. I mean, like I told you, I, I one night I was out driving on a Saturday night and I picked up a college just going up and down the dial and I picked up a college football game. And I recognized Golick's voice yes. first. Oh darn! Yes, I work. I recognized Golick's voice first, and I said, "Oh, it's Mike Golick." And I listened, and then it was it was Kate and Golick calling a college football game, and she was really good. And I meant to congratulate her. She actually was just named California Sports Broadcaster of the Year. Yeah, not bad. Uh, no, and I meant to compliment her on that. And by the way, Zoomoff won it here, kind of on his way out. 
Uh, real quick, Robert, in Germantown, we got about 45 seconds. Robert, talk to me. 76ers, enjoyed the game, guys. Uh, concerned that uh, we got out rebounded again by 10 rebounds. That's not good. And uh, this kid, Tobias Harris, he better step up his game. Uh, and also thought we were out coached. I thought the Cleveland coach ran a lot better offense for his players. A lot more basketball IQ on the other side. Uh, but Maxie saved our butt. Oh, yeah. I'll just touch one point. They got out rebounded because Miami, Miami, Cleveland never missed a shot. There were no re- thanks for the call. There were no rebounds to get. Yeah, they shot seventy percent. <laughs> there weren't a lot of rebounds. There weren't a lot of opportunities there. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up at noon. Tell us your story. Man, we'd be moaned hockey. So we'll give people back when hockey was good. Dave Pullen. Yeah, let's set that up. Prob- that's that's probably a good idea. Yeah. We'll give we'll give them a little flashback to when hockey was good in this town. By the way, this segment was sponsored by Guided Door and Window by any window or door. Get the second one at fifty percent off plus interest free financing for up to eighteen months. Call Guided Door and Window today at one eight seven seven Go Guida or visit go guida.com. We will do what we're watching tomorrow. I promise. Ray and Glenn on ninety four WIP. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack now. Uh, This is when we talk to our friends from Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. David Gelt is with us on this beautiful day. How are you, Doc? Pretty good. How are you guys doing today? All right. We're good. Uh Uh-oh. What are you doing, Doc? I just uh, had a text. Sorry. Okay. Oh, okay. No problem. Sounded like you were drilling a tooth there or something. I thought you you expanded your practice. Sorry about that. Ray, what do you got? Um... Doctor, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, the combine's going on now, and everybody's the mock draft season has begun, and uh, everybody's sort of trying to figure out with the Eagles with three first-round draft picks, who are they going to take? And one of the guys whose name keeps coming up in connection with the Eagles is Drake London, who's the wide receiver, the, <laughs> the wide receiver, the wide receiver from Southern, the wide receiver from Southern Cal. Um, in fact, he might be calling you even as we speak. Um, but he, uh, he, he suffered a broken ankle in October, uh, and uh, obviously didn't finish the season, didn't come back. He's at Indianapolis now just doing interviews, but he's not working out. Um, but a lot of people, he's going to get drafted, and a lot of people are thinking with the Eagles looking for wide receivers, he could possibly be a target, maybe even in the first round. Uh, the question that I think most people would have would be, a guy who breaks his ankle in October, um, how, much is, uh, how much is that going to carry over? What's the likelihood that he would even be available to you uh, to the start of training camp or the start of a regular season? Yeah, so it depends on, obviously, what kind of fracture it was and how severe it was. If it was off the, uh, the outside of the ankle, um, called a lot of my oldest, so the fibula. Um, by the way, by the way, Doc, I should, just to put it in context, I should mention it was October 30th, so it was the very end of the month, so it's even later still. Yeah. Um, and that also depends on if it's the, the shin bone or the tibia and if they uh, ended up having uh, significant surgery or if it was just a, a non-displaced fracture, meaning that it was lined up fine and you could just treat it with uh, casting or mobilization. So a lot of times if it's just uh, something that looks well-maintained and it's nothing that you have to do any surgical intervention, you know, it's good six to eight weeks and then you get into some rehab and you're doing pretty well. Um, sometimes you can have some setbacks if there's any soft tissue injury or ligament problems and then if there's surgery then that's a whole nother story or sometimes uh, you have to put hardware in there and it can obviously be a lot longer to recover uh, you know what we're going to let you go get those texts because they I, i'm sorry that's the, the carolina right. duke game so a lot of people are starting to oh there you go that's right i forgot yeah. your loyalty is carolina of course there you go all right well good luck there all righty all right sorry about that, guys. Not, not a problem we'll talk to you next week there you go. <laughs> 
it was a little disconcerting because you're right. It sounded like a drill. It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it did. Whatever. But anyway, but I know people, uh, and I've gotten some emails about Drake London and people saying, you know, could the Eagles pick him? Hey, listen, if he's healthy, would I be interested? You're talking about a six foot four receiver who can run the way he can run? Yeah, I would. Yeah. But the fact that he fractured his ankle on October 30th is a little concerning. Michael in Radnor, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Ray and Glenn, Michael from Radnor, called in a couple times, kind of a three-part call. Uh, actually, we're sitting outside of Caldwell University, hopefully at Herb McGee, hopefully not his final game today at the tournament, but a uh, three-part call. Ray, you may have met uh, Herb's mother-in-law, Marianne Cachado. I believe you have. Really, the, the call is centered around her, uh, her passing, a little bit about Herb. But Herb, do you, Ray, do you remember meeting her at all? Or? Oh, sure. I met her with the, the year that Herb was inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. Um, she was at the table next to me. What a delightful what a delightful lady she is. And it turns out she's a big WIP listener. She absolutely is. And she passed away. This call has been two years in the coming, but she was absolutely one of the most uh, – gracious women to ever grace the main line in the Philadelphia area. She lived till she was 95 years old. This woman went to church every single day. She drove to church till the day she died. We had Thanksgivings at her, at her house with 50 people the last 30 years in a row. I'm not sure if you know, but, but Ray, uh, but Herb lost his, uh, his parents at a very young age. And I knew that, Ray. Yeah. And respect that he had for it was just mind boggling. It really, I'm sorry. He talked about her. Yeah. He talked about her all the time. He talked about her all the time. And uh, and she was. And the night that Herb got inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame, I was at the dinner and uh, there was nobody in the, in the audience that was beaming more broadly than she was. I mean, that was a big night for her, but I think it was a bigger night for her. D in Virginia, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How's hey, D. Good. Hey, like I told you guys last week, I wasn't too much uh, high on hard in the beginning, but I've come around. And just looking from a basketball standpoint, you know, what you got Maxie out there and Embiid with him, going to the playoffs is great for them to have that veteran leadership and someone who understands, you know, how teams are going to stop guys like Joel. Uh, the only thing that really worries me is Doc and his rotation. Um, he, he, needs to get that, uh, he needs to get that cleaned up. And I would say uh, don't underestimate the impact that DeAndre uh, Jordan can have and uh, Danny Green. Those guys are the best, and they've been there before. Well, okay. It's, I'm glad you brought that up because nobody had. Ray, DeAndre Jordan, I mean, my expectation is he's going to play 10 minutes a night That's and it. hopefully play a little bit of defense, and anything over that is a bonus. That's it. I mean, you just, you needed somebody behind Embiid, uh, and you needed another big guy that could come in and give you, you said 10 minutes, probably about right. And, you know, he's been in the league for a long time. He's played in some big games, played in some good teams, mm-hmm. understands his role at this point. Yeah, I think he was a good pickup. Definitely. And I know you guys watch the draft. Everybody's talking about these wide receivers, and rightfully so, run some fast times. But I'm just amazed at some of those big guys out there. I mean, you had a bunch of yes. you know, running sub five. You know, so, yeah, very, very interesting in that point. Uh, I, I, I think that is a great point. It's not just those wide receivers who are running fast. And, again, we'll do it tomorrow. We're going to do a whole draft segment. But it is. It's, it's bigger guys as well. All right, let me sneak in one more call before uh, we do tell us your story. Brandon in Brookhaven, what's on your mind today, Brandon? Hey, guys. I was one of the few in attendance on that Flyers game that you guys were talking wow, about. Wow, you had your whole yeah, a whole row to yourself. Pretty much. Yeah, I did. And the only reason I went was because I didn't want to go. That's how – this is the first year I ever did not want to go to a Flyers game. 
but I got it for, as a Christmas present from my neighbor. So if I don't go, my neighbor knows I'm home. So <laughs> I end up going just for that reason. But that's the whole point is that the fans don't even want to go. And that's me. And I grew up watching the Flyers. It is hard to watch. I know they're winning, but I ended up leaving after the second because I just knew they were going to lose the way they were playing. They're giving the puck up in the freaking defensive zone. They're not skating hard. The defense is all over the place. And, and one more thing, too, is that I'm so happy you guys continue to talk about the Flyers because if fans lose interest and we're not talking about it, they're not going to fix it. So please continue to fix yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. And that's, and that's why Brandon, we do. That's exactly why. That's Thanks. That's exactly and, why. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we let them go. We feel an obligation. It, it, it has to mean something. It has to be addressed. Yeah. People, have to, have, people have to be taught about it. It has to be talked about because that's the only way you're going to implement change. And – you know, apathy is the worst thing, and I don't want it to become apathetic. It's an embarrassment what's become of that team, and the people that are responsible need to be called out for it. Simple as that. By the way, uh, before, we're, we're about to, speaking of when the Flyers were great, we're about to go to our television store with Dave Poulin. Right. So I tweeted uh, this morning and actually yesterday that, you know, Ray and Glenn our show today. I mean, you've, your wife shows you want to post on Facebook. About yes, she show, does. Right? So you do actually see it. I do see it. Okay, so I put it on Twitter, and when you put it on Twitter, you— tag the person so i said we're gonna be on with kate scott and i tag kate scott so she will see it and the people who follow her will see it and i said and we're gonna have captain dave pool and i found him on twitter and and he retweets it and then i finally got a note that said by the way i should mention that i'm not really the that dave Poolin. so it's just some guy <laughs> ah the joys so, of social media ah, there you go anyway that that is coming up why don't you you set up the uh, dave Poolin thing here yeah, you know, Dave Poulin is, uh, boy, everything we're talking about the Flyers, a team that has no heart, a team that doesn't try, a team that doesn't compete. And Dave Poulin was the opposite of all of those things. I mean, he was, a, he was a guy who was undersized, was undrafted. Flyers, he went to Sweden. Ted Sater recommended him to the Flyers organization. They bring him in, sign him as a free agent. They start him out in Maine. They call him up at the end of a season, and he scores goals on his first two shots at the NHL. He will tell you the story. But the big thing is, and he will always be remembered, as the guy who, re, who succeeded Bobby Clark as captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. And can you imagine a bigger responsibility than being the captain who followed Bobby Clark? But Dave Poulin wore the sea and wore it proudly for eight seasons, and he tells us his story in a very compelling way. Very good. Looking forward to that. Hey, are you tired of dealing with your old drafty windows and doors in your house? Maybe it's time you finally go Guida. The great people at Guida Door and Window will help you make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off, and you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, you will save 50% on half the project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply for full details. Call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Jay Wells spins one up the wing in Sinisato. Watched by Larry Robinson. Sinisato has Derek Smith the trailer. Moves to the front. Murphy a drive off of Smith. Poulin scores! Dave Poulin in sudden death overtime. It'll take another game back in Philadelphia as the Flyers have won it 2-1. to one. 
Well, welcome back. Ray Dinger and Glenn Mack. Now this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Well, Ray, Day Poulin played six full seasons, parts of two more for the Flyers. He was captain after Bobby Clark. Winner of the Selkie Trophy is the league's top defensive forward. Key member of some great teams. Went on to coach Notre Dame hockey for a decade. Now broadcaster, just back from the Olympics, always a class act. He joins us. Dave, thanks for being part of our show today. My pleasure, guys. It's uh, wherever I go and whatever arena I'm in, uh, I'm a Philadelphia Flyer. Just uh, And that never leaves me, so it's good to be back. Well, thank you. Let's start at the beginning. Your hometown, Timmins, Ontario, Great Night White North, 600 miles north of uh, Toronto, Goldmine Town. And I, I remember that the story is that you started playing hockey on figure skates. Well, I was a figure skater. I never played hockey in Timmins officially. I was a figure skater until I was eight years old. And so, you know, I played pickup hockey on the outdoor rinks, but it wasn't until I moved to Toronto at eight that, you know, when I went to my first official hockey practice, not only were they figure skates guys, but they were my sister skates with black shoe polish on them. And so when the shoe polish actually came off early in the game, it didn't go that well for me as you might imagine. But uh, what they couldn't argue with was that I could skate. And, and that was, you know, the base of my skating came from figure skating, not from learning how to play hockey. <laughs> the, um, on the scale of um, uh, big people, big famous people that came out of Timmins, Ontario, where would, um, wh- wh- where would uh, Frank and Peter Mahovlich compared to Shania Twain? How would that, how would that, how would that break down? Okay, we got to get it straight with the Mahavlis boys because I see them on a regular basis. I'll see them in passing. You know, I'll see Frank in an airport. I'll see Peter in a rink. They're from the suburbs, guys. They're from Schumacher. That's the suburbs of Timmins. Uh, oh. And Donnie and Donnie Lever, he's from South Porcupine. That's another suburb of the <laughs> metropolis of Timmins. Now, Shania Twain is legit. She's from Timmins, and she ranks just slightly ahead of the hockey players, as you might imagine. Okay. You were um, average-sized players. I remember maybe 5'10", um, but you were undersized throughout your youth, correct? And and how did that impact your game? Well, it had a great impact, and it ironically, it had an impact because of the Boston Bruins and the Philadelphia Flyers through the 1970s. And I was tiny, guys. Um, like, I think my my second year of high school, I was still five foot three, 110 pounds. I mean, I was small and I was playing in the best league in Toronto and I would lead the league in scoring. And the next year when I went back, they would say, well, you did that in minor Bantam, but you'll never be able to do it in Bantam. And I would be the last one to make the team lead the league in scoring again and go through the process again. And, you know, at the same time in the early seventies, it was, you know, the broad street bullies and the big bad Bruins. And I always got a great satisfaction that I went on to play for both teams because they cost me a lot of, of hardship. And back then, if you weren't big and powerful, you couldn't play hockey, you know, through that little stretch of time. Or you, you, people thought that was the only way you could play. And, you know, my skating was always my biggest asset. And I grew later in high school and then actually after high school continued to grow. So um, I have a a great love of the small player in the game and always have because it's just, you know, it's persisting and fighting through and, and getting to where you want to go. 
Well, I remember you talking about how how you came to uh, how you came to go to Notre Dame and play at Notre Dame. Um, there was you were playing for a team uh, called the Dixie Beehives, uh, and um, one of your teammates. Uh, had was being recruited by a lot of different schools, and it was contacted by a lot of different schools, uh, and Notre Dame being one of them. Um, but he had already committed to Michigan State, so he didn't have any real interest in you know the questionnaire that came from Notre Dame. So he handed it to you, and uh, you filled it out and sent it back to Notre Dame, and that's kind of how you wound up at South Bend. I can still see the big gold MD in the corner of that envelope. It was embossed. It was sitting beside me in the locker room. And the arena we played in, guys, the Dixie Arena Gardens made the Boston Garden look like an Olympic ice sheet. And it was the tiniest little rink you'd ever seen. And I had joined the team late, as per usual. I was just really starting to fill out and had made the Junior B team, but not the Tier 2 Junior A team at the start of the year. And so then for probably a three- to four-week period, I was playing every game for both teams. So I was literally playing seven games a week. And I said, guys, I, I can't do this. And now we're into late November, so officially a member of the Tier 2 Junior A team and quickly rose to lead that team in scoring. And, and it was all word of mouth for colleges back then. And the player's name was Billy Shutt, and he was a straight-A student and a very aggressive defenseman in that little bandbox arena. So he attracted the attention, but, but there were a total of 11 players from that team who went to the NCAA route largely because of him. As, as schools kept coming out. And when I sent the information sheet back into Notre Dame with a very nice cover letter that said it could have been from the creative writing class guys. It was like, thank you for your interest in me as a hockey player. And at which time they were like, who is this guy? <laughs> but, I, but I played for a good team in a good league and that started the interest. And then, you know, immediately when the next school called and said, are you talking to anybody? I said, well, of course I'm talking to Notre Dame. I didn't let on. That was a one-way conversation <laughs> at that point. And, uh, and then it snowballed from there. I think Cornell was involved. And, and then it grew. And I remember going back into my high school guidance counselor, who didn't even know. I played for a club team, so he didn't even know I was an athlete. And I had a stack of letters, and there were probably 20 different letters. And it was Princeton, Harvard, um, Yale, Cornell, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame. And he was looking at these, and he's like, well, you can't go to any of these schools. And I said, well, well, actually, I can go to any of them I want to. I just want your help. And then he became very invested in it, and, and we had a great time and, and narrowed it down. I went to Notre Dame first. You were allowed six recruiting trips back then. And I called home the morning I arrived and said to my dad, I'm not taking my other five trips. I'm coming to school here. That was it. The Golden Dome got you, didn't it? It uh, certainly did. And it was a freezing cold day, <laughs> like just an awful day in January on a Saturday morning, and it won me over immediately. So you went there. You you played four years. I know you missed uh, part of your NHL entry draft year with spinal meningitis, but you were you were a standout. Uh, but the plan after that, from what I've seen, is that you were going to go into the business world. You had an opportunity, decided to play one year in Sweden. If you would, uh, by the way, Dave Pullen is our guest on Tell Us Your Story. Take us, take us through that and how that ended up being a route to the NHL. The whole um, business part of it, they had Procter & Gamble recruited from the international rosters at these universities, and they actually recruited me in early December of my senior year. And as I went through the process, you know, it was like the more people you talk to, well, Procter & Gamble is where you went for a training program. So I accepted a job in international sales. And 
after graduation, when the opportunity came up to go to Europe, I called PNG and I said, look, I'm supposed to start in August, but I've got this opportunity to go and live in Europe for a year and play hockey. And I, I, I still remember the guy's name. It's crystal clear in my mind, Larry Stadnick. And he said, well, Dave, that would be fine. We'd be, we'd welcome you back in a year, you know, go and live in an in a international market and that'll only enhance your, your skills with us. And when I got over there, Ted Sater, who went on to mm-hmm. coach in the NHL with the Flyers and the Rangers and Buffalo, was my head coach. And it was just that little tweak of final development, guys, that a lot of people never are fortunate enough to have. Just a person who took an interest in me and, and a demand that I could do more, that I could be a better player, and that he could push me to a different level. And, and he was able to do that. And so it was coming back. From there, I, I, you know, came back a totally different player and from an individual standpoint. And I led the league in goals, which I had never done at any level. I was always an assist guy, but he pushed me to expand my game and expand my role. And just, just that piece of it, when I came back, I went to Portland, Maine on an amateur tryout offer for 16 games, played for Tommy McVie there. And that was a, a great team. They were first in the, in the division and poised to go on. And it just was the final springboard. I came back with so much confidence and, and also with an understanding that, look, I'm going to play in the American League for the rest of the year, and then I'm going to go back to Procter & Gamble. Yeah, but of course, you do. You, you play at Maine, and as you said, you played very well. It was a really good team. Uh, and at the end of that year, at the very end, of the, as the season's winding down, you get, you get a call-up. You get a chance to go up and play for the Flyers. Uh, and your first game uh, was against the Toronto Maple Leafs in Maple Leaf Gardens, which was the team you grew up following because you grew up not, you know, you grew up in, in Ontario and the Maple Leafs were a team that you knew and you knew the history. You certainly knew the history of that building. Uh, and you get out there in your first NHL game is against the Maple Leafs. And I believe you scored on your first two shots. Is, am I correct in that? I did. Um, and the, the, maybe the, the front end of that story the day before was April Fool's Day. And so I was in Portland, Maine on April Fool's Day in Duffy's Pancake House. And the call came into Duffy. I was having breakfast, and we were on our way to New Haven to play that night. And Duffy says, hey, Dave, it's Keith Allen. And, and I'm like, of course it's April Fool's Day. Of course it's Keith Allen. Yeah. So I answered the phone very nonchalantly, and he said, you know, a voice I'd never heard. And he said, Dave, we're going to call you up to play against Toronto tomorrow night. And, and I'm looking at the phone and trying to, you know, I guess understand how to handle this and thinking that definitely it's one of my teammates pranking me. And sure enough, you know, that was the plan. But I had to play in New Haven that night. So we bust from Portland down to New Haven, played that night, popped up the next morning at 6 a.m., flew to Toronto by myself, bag over my shoulders, sticks in my hand, and, of course, went in the front door of Maple Leaf Gardens. I didn't even know there was a player's entrance. Huh. And and didn't know anyone on the team, guys, because I'd never been to training camp. And, it, you know, it was that – it was the way – you know, who is this guy walking into our locker room and why is he here? And, and so, um, but I was welcomed in and by a number of the guys and, and settled in and was fortunate enough. It was my boyhood hero, Daryl Sittler, who set me up on the first, on the first goal. And then uh, Ilka Sinisalo, the dearly departed Ilka Sinisalo, assisted on my second period goal, which was shorthanded. So quite a night by all means. I, I can't imagine. You, you get called up. It's your first game. I don't know how many minutes you got that game, but I can't imagine you started. Can't imagine you played more than whatever, 12, 14 minutes, and you score on your first two shots. 
I know this is a silly story because I know it's not true, but there's a part of your mind that thought like, oh, this is going to be easier than I expected. No, you know, it was it was more surreal than anything. A building where I'd watched number of games. The first year I moved to Toronto, um, the first NHL game I saw was Bobby Orr. And, you know, and it was a magical building every time I walked into that building with the TV lights and everything else. And it, it was there wasn't even time. It happened so fast and it was so ridiculous that there wasn't time to really think about that. And that first game, my first shift, I was on the ice. Well, the first shift of the game, the Flyers took a penalty, and Bob McCammon said, well, let's see if you can play, kid, and he put me out to kill the penalty. And they were playing the Rangers in the playoffs that year, the much-dreaded series that awaited with, with uh, you know, Herb Brooks there, and, and they were worried about their speed. So they didn't soft, you know, pedal me into the game. They threw me into the game. And I, I literally, my first shift was shorthanded and I played quite a bit that night and of course that you finish out that season and um, then the next season you go to you do get to go to training camp and you are a fully invested member of the team Um, and I remember you talking about how in terms of getting ready for that season um, you spent an an awful lot of time that summer working out with Bob Clark that uh, you did a lot of training together you used to run five miles a day with him uh, and uh, and so that that was kind of your introduction to Flyers hockey and uh, the work ethic that was part of this team. What you can get you couldn't get a better example of that than Bob Clark. Well, you certainly couldn't. And if, if we back up to the end of the season before, you know, the season has just ended. I've graduated from college, um, got married, spent the time in Europe, spent time in Portland, Maine. Now back in Philadelphia, I had no idea what I was going to do, and I had to buy a car. You know, I was back in the country. And someone in the office, right when the season ended, as disappointing as it was, said, well, you know, I said, is there anybody that can help me buy a car, a specific car? And they said, well, Bob Clark has an affiliation with that type of dealership. So when I called him, guys, I didn't know whether I had to introduce myself. Like, I played five games for the Flyers. I didn't even know if he knew who I was. And, you know, he was so gracious. He met us at the dealership. He helped us buy the car. And then he said to me, what do you do in the summer? And I said, you know, like, Mr. Clark, I have no idea. And he said, stay here and work out with me. Now, why that came out of his mouth at that time, I have no idea. And, you know, he said, uh, sublet one of the guy's places if you don't know what you're going to do and stay here, and that'll put you off on the right foot. So I had the luxury of working out with a Hall of Famer six days a week. And, you know, and, and selfishly, it was great for me. But, you know, as you think back, it was he thought he had found someone to push him through his last couple of years. Mm. And no one had ever worked out with him in the mornings because no one wanted to get up at six o'clock, six days a week. And he convinced me that that was the way to go. And I benefited as much as it was, it was literally the final piece for me that put me at a whole different level of physical conditioning and mental conditioning because when you train with Clarky, there's <laughs> a good part of it that's mental as well. So you found a mentor, you found a close friend, you found a guide. I mean, Bob, it, it you said it, but I just kind of want to reiterate it. Bob Clark created the opportunity for you to learn how to be an NHL player because he took you in that way. No question about it. Yeah. No question. You can't even replace that. And in, in, in the 
you know, following years, I tried to do it for other players, young players, and, you know, and as they came through, and I tried to teach others to do it for young players. And I, I think we did a pretty successful job mentoring the young guys with the Flyers and then on with the Bruins. But, but it was he specifically made that decision, and it changed my life in many ways. So as Ray said, 83-84 is your rookie year. Bob McCammon is the coach. And you get put on a line with Brian Propp and Tim Kerr, uh, which, I mean, is, that's three great names, three real pros, each of whom had terrific careers. Uh, and you set a franchise record that season that, that stood for a while until Michael Renberg uh, for points by a rookie, 31 goals, 76 points. Um, just talk, of, if you would, a little bit, uh, Dave Pullen, about the chemistry of that line because, boy, it was a good one for a long time. It started with Brian and I, and Timmy was still playing center. And, you know, he was the prototypical big centerman. And Timmy decided that I was his guy for whatever reason. And so in practice, at the start of practice, we do these like little two-on-o drills. And he'd always say, go with me, go with me. And then he'd tell the coaches, you got to watch us together. We're unbelievable. And he'd say, we've got to have really good passes here, really good passes. And we'd go back up and down the ice. And he'd skate by, and he'd say, great chemistry, great chemistry with that kid. you got to put me with that kid. you got to put me with that guy. <laughs> so it was really Timmy that was making up the line. And so when he got on the right side with Brian and I, um, everything clicked. And, you know, Timmy had four brilliant years in a row, um, north of 50, you know, four straight times. If I'm right, it was 58, 54, 54, 58, or something like that. Still holds the power play record uh, in the NHL with, 34 power play goals. Something like that, still, yeah. A ton. Yeah, still the record. But I didn't play in the power play with him. and But I was just five on five. And Proper and I killed penalties together. And it was, Timmy was so easy to play with. There, there's a, a phrase that, that I've developed on the media side that came from playing with Tim Kerr. And that's he demanded and commanded the puck, both. And he'd constantly be badgering you to give it to him. But when he was on the ice, you looked at him, and you had no choice but to give it to him because he was always in a good place, always hanging out in front of the net, but just a special player. And, and we did have a special relationship, and we played together the, the majority of five-plus years um, and, and really got to a point where Proper and I shorthanded, you know, was just you knew where he was all the time on the ice. And we had the same, you know, thought process and the same chemistry with Timmy in five-on-five situations. And as I said, I wasn't a power play guy and didn't play a lot on the power play. But, you know, playing with Timmy and Proppy five-on-five was just, it was so much fun. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun for you and it was fun for the fans because there was certainly magic in that combination. And you guys, and you guys made it work. Um, you know, Dave, I, I guess the big, um, the, the, the really big momentous moment comes, you know, in that one offseason when they decide that Bob Clark is going to retire as a player uh, and he's going to move up to the front office, he's going to become the general manager, and then comes then comes the question of who's going to succeed Bob Clark as captain of the Flyers. I mean, nobody could have embodied that team or represented the team or worn the sea more proudly uh, than Bob did all those years, but now somebody had to replace him. Uh, and it was originally it was supposed to be Daryl Sittler, as you said, your boyhood hero, but the day of the opener – Daryl gets traded, and now they have to find another captain. And lo and behold, they choose you. I mean, it, it would, I guess there were a lot of people that were surprised. I just wonder how surprised you were. 
uh, more surprised than the other people were. I'll tell you that. Um, I was shocked, absolutely shocked. And we went to a luncheon two days before the game, and it was to be. That was where the announcement was to be. And I can remember someone coming over and talking to Bob when he was at the head table up on the stage in the dais and saying something to him. And, and it was at that moment that Sittler was traded. And so we thought the announcement was coming that day to be captain. And we had taken the bus over to center city to the, to the luncheon. And we took the bus back and nobody knew at that point, Sittler got called in and was traded. And so I went home and got a call probably a couple hours later to come back to the Coliseum. And it was Mike Keenan. And it was Mike Keenan that said, you know, we've traded Daryl Sittler and, and we're going to appoint you captain. And I was so careful always to say I didn't replace Bob Clark. No one replaced Bob Clark. I followed Bob Clark. And, but once again, he was still present. He helped me out with a lot of things, but it was the support group around me that was so unbelievably. And I don't know if receptive is the right word, but, um, but I guess it is because they did accept me as captain, a number of them. Um, Some probably didn't. And, and it was, it was, the handful of Brad McCrimmon and Mark Howe, um, Brad Marsh, uh, Timmy Kerr, um, and Proper was in the mix. That was probably the core group of who was behind me initially. And, you know, and it didn't matter what anyone else said or did, they were going to follow. And Marshy had been a captain in Calgary at a young age. He was incredibly helpful, but it was that core group. And, and, Brad McCrimmon's leadership, and far too many of these names aren't with us any longer, guys, but yeah. Brad McCrimmon's leadership was just immense through that. So whenever I encountered things, that's the group I relied on. It wasn't a formal leadership group as they have with teams now, but those were those were my guys, and Dave, they backed me immensely. Dave, did anybody, um, did Mike or anybody tell you why you I mean, because you're right. I mean, you know, Brad Marsh had been a captain in Calgary. Mark Cowell was a great leader and a great player. McCrimmon, certainly the same. Why was it that they made the decision to to choose you? Did anybody ever sit you down and say why? Uh, no, not not formally. And I, I would say in retrospect, it was you had a brand-new first-time general manager who just retired. You had a brand-new NHL coach doing it for the first time. And I think the brand-new part of it, was what enabled them to do that. And, you know, they were stepping out on so many limbs with the group they were putting together that I guess another limb wasn't going to uh, wasn't going to shake things up that much, and they thought they could do it. Makes sense. Hey, let's take a quick break. Dave Pullen is our guest today for Tell Us Your Story. A lot of great Flyers years that we're going to discuss ahead. This hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Into the corner, Nielsen trying to draw over Prop. Now they come near side to Reinhardt. Into the slot, broken up. The Flyers have a breakaway. Short-handed. There goes Pullen by himself. Shot. Score! Well, that goal you just heard is one of the uh, most famous in Flyers history. Dave Pullen against the Quebec Nordiques 1985 playoffs. Yep, two-man short-handed. He scores uh, and... Uh, Helps win the game. We'll talk about that in one second. Dave Pullen is our guest on Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. So, 
Dave, let, let's go to that. Uh, it's the 1985 playoffs. You're up three games to two against Quebec. Um, Two-man two advantage. Quebec has a two-man advantage. Mario Gosselin in goal for Quebec. Describe the play, if you could. So we, we had talked um, about Quebec caving in deeper and deeper on their power play, and it was Mario Marwa and Peter Stasny that were at the top, and when the pass went across, I jumped the pass, and I literally picked that pass off at the top of our circle. That's how deep their defenders were. And so now I looked up and had the length of the ice to go, and I had broken two ribs in game two in Quebec. And so now I come back and sat out two games and played in game five, which we won in Quebec, and then now it's game six. So I had nerve blocks. I had a flak jacket on. And, um, you know, at that point, it's all adrenaline. But all I can remember when I looked up is, man, that is a long way down to the other end. Because it's literally three-quarters of the rink I had to go. And we had talked about Mario Gosselin, and we talked about Top Glove. And I remember Murray Craven clearly in my ear, you know, going down. As you can even imagine digesting that, I'm thinking Murray Craven saying, top shelf, top shelf, top shelf. And so managed to get it up underneath the bar. And as I circled, I remember getting my one arm up, which was my signature celebration, and I think Mark Howe was the first one there, uh, one of the other two players on the ice, maybe Dougie Crossman was the other one, and just met me in a full crash. And I think the, there's, that is by far the most talked about moment I get whenever I'm back in Philadelphia. And that's the one everyone remembers. But I think the key part was that it, it put that young team which was a lot of, you know, if you're growing up, you have your favorite teams by how old you were, how invested you were. And, and so for a certain age group, their favorite team was the first team of our group that went to the finals. Mm-hmm. And that goal gave us a 2 nothing advantage and sort of catapults into the finals. So I think it was more significant from what it did for the team than it was from an individual standpoint. It was certainly an electrifying moment. And um, there are a lot of great moments at the Spectrum, a lot of um, – nights that uh, those of us that were there will always remember and that's that's one of them but you just you just mentioned what a young team it was in so many ways and uh, a team that in I think almost anybody's eyes kind of exceeded all people's expectations and then you go on you go on to the finals and in the finals here you are playing for the Stanley Cup against what might be the greatest team of all time is that Edmonton Oilers team Um, going into it what was the feeling on your team I mean what was your own you obviously knew the challenge that you were facing, but what did you think your chances were of actually upsetting those guys? Uh, very real. And, you know, we we beat the Islanders that year in the playoffs, and they had been the nemesis for Edmonton along the way. And, you know, we knocked off the great New York Islanders. And we were, we were probably, I don't know if confident and naive go together, but I'm going to put those two words together and say that, you know, we just believe we could do whatever. And and we won that first game, and we were missing, I think McCrimmon was out. We never got there fully healthy. I think it was Brad McCrimmon that was out with a shoulder injury. And I, I remember in, in, we won game one at home, four to one. And I was lying on the sofa about three in the morning, and the freezing was coming out of my ribs, which was the cross-game ritual, which no one wants. Um, and thinking to myself, I was watching a replay of the game and thinking to myself, we're going to win the Stanley cup. And we're like, we're actually going to win the Stanley cup. And we, we played very well in game one. And of course, 
if you really look hard at the numbers, Mr. Gretzky just decided to take over the series. And, and that was the only time, guys, after that game lying on that sofa, that I allowed myself to think about receiving the Stanley Cup, like, like getting handed the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And we lost game one, and I never thought about it again. Never let myself think about it again. I, we had opportunities to get there, but I never let myself have that exact thought again. Uh, Dave Pullen, one of your jobs as captain, maybe your toughest job, was to kind of serve as a buffer between the players and, and Mike Keenan, who was as tough a coach as there ever was. What was? Tell us about your relationship with Mike Keenan. It was constant. It was There was never a day off from that relationship, uh, even when there was a day off from that relationship. And it was just so – he wanted to make everybody better, and he wanted – he thrived on confrontation. He thought that he got a better result from a hockey team when there was tension in the air. I disagreed totally. We had our battles about that. But he always tried to inject some sort of controversy. It would be like, okay, I think this interview is going fine so far. And Mike would be in this interview and saying, hey, we got to totally change what we're doing here, guys. You're asking the wrong questions. He's not answering them the right way. I mean, that's what he would do. And you'd be like, no, glad, glad we're not fine. talking to him, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he did. And he felt that that pushed people to a different level. And begrudgingly, guys, if you talk to that group of players from Scotty Mellonby to Murray Craven to Rick Tockett and on down the list, um, they'll begrudgingly admit they would never, ever have been the players they were ultimately in their careers without that push at that juncture. And But from a comfort standpoint, forget that word. It was constant, and it was – I still have flashbacks, and it was four years, and I just uh, worked in the Olympics with Glenn Healy, who had Mike for all of one year in New York in which they won the Cup. So he had him one year, they won the Stanley Cup, and all Healy could do was talk about Mike Keenan. I go, Glenn – you, you like had him for junior kindergarten. I had him for graduate school. I mean, forget it. You know, one year doesn't do it. But you know what? He got it out of us, guys. And uh, and that was ultimately what led to a lot of us having long and successful careers. Yeah, he was a great coach. And uh, and there's no doubt. I mean, all the guys that we've had, and we've had several guys from that team in that era on with us for Tell Us Your Story. And we all wind up talking about Mike Keenan. And they all kind of say the same thing. He was really tough to play for but he made me a better player. I, You know, one of the things that happened, Dave, in that time, um, you talk about you, know, you kind of had to be the buffer between the coach and the players, but the other really traumatic event that happened was the, was the death of Pelly Lindbergh, who had come on in a very short period of time and established himself as one of the best goaltenders in hockey and looked like he was going to have a tremendous future in the NHL and was enormously popular with you guys in the locker room. And then suddenly, tragically, he dies in a car crash. Um, I mean, what was that like for you as a team to live through, and how much of that kind of responsibility as the captain did you did you have to shoulder to try and get the team through that time of crisis? Well, guys, it was a, a day that didn't just change our careers; it changed my life. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I've thought about it over the years at, at various points, and it was a life-changing experience for me personally. And I got the call that morning and and ended up trying to get a hold of Clark. He was out of town and then contacting Mike and Mike and I went and identified the body at the hospital. And then it was up to me to call my teammates one by one from a nurse's station in the hospital and tell them they had to come down to the hospital. And so you're waking guys up at probably at that point, 8 39 AM on a Sunday morning. 
and, you know, the disbelief and the way that team, I guess, came together. It, it, it was arguably guys, Mike Keenan at his absolute best. And it may sound strange to say that in those circumstances, but the way he kept that team together, the may, the way he made us communicate with each other and bring it out in each other and bring the emotion out in each other um, was really, really Mike at his best. And, you know, it, it, it is literally a time frame of my life that I've thought about often. I've, I've, you know, in a coaching role, in a management role, used it as an example that you can learn from other people's mistakes. You don't have to make your own. And Pelly made a mistake that night, and, and we all lived with it. People often talk about, uh, remember, the game after that, which was against Edmonton, which was at the Spectrum, um, which was a very powerful moment. What do you remember about that that next game? Um, I'm going to backtrack just, just a day to the funeral. And, and Bob Clark had called me in on Tuesday and, and said, um, you have to do the eulogy at Pelly's funeral. And I looked at him. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he said, look, he said, I did it for Barry Ashby, and you've got to do it. I remember going home and thinking, like, what is that? Like, I don't even know what that is. And, and sitting at a little wooden table that I still have at 2 in the morning the night before the funeral and just starting to write and writing that and then and saying it that next day at the funeral, I couldn't look up uh, at my, any of my teammates in that little Swedish church that the funeral was at. And then we move forward, and, and I do know that Glenn Sather was there that day. I remember distinctly seeing him there. And then moving forward to game day, once again, the safest haven for us was in the rink. You know, where we'd been in hospitals, in churches, that wasn't a safe place. And, and now we're back at our own in the rink. And I think they scored the first shot of the game. And then gradually we took over. And, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Bob Froze was supposed to play the backup goal. He got hurt, and Darren Jensen played that night. And, you know, and then, but, but we were, by season's end, guys, we were on an emotional thread that we carried through that year, and we just weren't able to sustain the emotion at the end of the year and lost in the first round of the Rangers. Yeah, and then, then the 86-87 season comes along, and you guys, you know, all of a sudden here comes Ron Hextall, a guy nobody had – really thought about, nobody knew, up from the farm system, plays the opening game against against Edmonton brilliantly, wins the game, and now all of a sudden you're back on track. And you had another great season. Everything kind of falls into place. You get to the playoffs again, and you make another great run all the way through, uh, and you get to the finals. And once again, <laughs> once again, you're up against the Edmonton Oilers, who um, at that point may have even been better than they had been two years earlier. Uh, and you had one of the most – one of the most breathtaking series, seven-game series, I think, that a lot of people, NHL historians, the Red Fishers and all those guys, Frank Gores, the guys who have been covering hockey for years, said that they thought that that seven-game series that you had with Edmonton was one of the great series of all time. And you took that, you took that Edmonton team all the way down to the third period of Game 7, as beat up as your team was. It was just, an, you, I mean, you came up short, but it was just getting that far was an incredible accomplishment. It really was. Now, they were better, but we were better as well. You know, Rick Tockett and, and Peter Zazel specifically and, and some of the young guys. Murray Craven's game was at a whole different level. Ronnie Sutter's game was at a different level um, than, that, than they'd all been two years previous. In that time around, we didn't have Tim Kirk. And I 
I believe that Tim Kerr would have been the difference in that series. You know, he was he was such a force, and they didn't, you know, you know they didn't have as great of players as they had. We had the net front presence with Tim Kerr on that power play, and they didn't have anybody that could handle him. And I think that was the difference in you know in the series, as much as to say what a fine line it was. But the, I think it was the emotional swings in that series in, you know, coming back and winning game five and game six and then having to wait an extra day. The circus had committed to Edmonton. So we rather than carry the momentum of game six right into game seven, we had to wait an extra day. And, and I think that was a factor. You know, I just do. And, and, you know, as you look at the minute things that were really separators for those two teams. Now, we had one Hall of Famer and they had, I think eight right now, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. but we were a team. We were a team. And I think when I'm asked about team, I think of those teams and they're different teams. That's a different team from the 85 team, but the elements of a team were clearly there. And, you know, it wasn't a collection of great players. That was a team. Dave Poulin is our guest. Um, Ray mentioned uh, Ron Hextall and he was a, boy, he was a singular player when he came up. Um, did you have any idea before he showed up who he was, what he did, the style he played, and how that would impact the team? No, no. This may shock you, but I wasn't interested in the young goalie at camp. <laughs> <laughs> I just wasn't, right? And, uh, you know, we had the best goaltender in the world in Keller Limburg. And so I wouldn't have even – I didn't even recall Hexy from his first camp. Um and, and it was then we knew we knew what he was doing in, in Hershey clearly, and they were a championship tech team. And and when Pelly had his accident, I think there was a temptation on Bob Clark's, you know, behalf to call him up, and he didn't. He wanted to leave him to develop because he knew he was raw. And he actually would tell you to this day that that development through his year and the successes he had in Hershey, because uh, they went on a Calder Cup run that year, and you know, were a big separator for him and how, you know, how much he matured. But no, we didn't know about him. I didn't know about his fiery personality. I didn't know any of that stuff. Uh, we figured it out pretty quickly, guys. Yeah, he was he was great that year. And, you know, one of the few players to um, win the Conn Smythe as the MVP on a losing team. Doesn't happen very often. Certainly, and and doubly so for a rookie. But he did it all. And uh, and he was he was a great part of that team. And it was a great run for for the Flyers and a great time in Flyers history. And for sure, I but then, you know, when it came time after that, there was some period team goes through a period of change. Um, and then it comes to the time when you're sort of coming down towards the end of your career here. Um, and it comes the time that they're going to they take your captaincy away. Uh, and I just I just wondered, I mean, you would you had been the captain for a long time and you would warn the sea very well. Uh, when Paul Holmgren came to you and said, we're making a change at captain. I mean, did you? That had to hurt. I mean, for what it meant to you and what the Flyers meant to you at that point, uh, to have that happen, even though you had a good relationship with Paul, that had to be a very painful thing. Well, it really did. It hurt a great deal, but it hurt because he said he thought the leadership had changed on the team, and I didn't think it had. And and I remember having a philosophical conversation with him about whether he wanted the leadership to change in the team or he thought it already had. And he said he thought it already had. And I think he was wrong. And I think to this day, I think he was wrong. Um, you know, if he wanted to shift it to the younger guys, that's a different thing. And I was hurt as well. I had broken my hand and so I was out. And, you know, when all of that went on and I just thought, of course, you know, I, I'm not in as big a role as the captain. I'm hurt right now. I'm not even dressed. But 
that one did sting a lot because I did take a tremendous amount of pride in being the captain of that team. But in no way did I see that as the start of the trade. And in fact, there were no rumors that I would be traded. There's still to this day, no rumors ever that I'm aware of, or was I involved in trade talks? I heard um, from Minnesota uh, in later in life that, that I, that they came very close to trading me for Neil Broughton, you know, prior to that, mm-hmm. to moving me to Boston for Ken Linsman, but certainly in no way did that make the media or, you know, any rumors or anything. So, you know, very, very disappointed when I was, uh, had the captaincy removed. And then obviously the trade followed a month later, maybe. Dave Poulin is our guest. We've got, she's uh, just about five minutes to go. And, and to be honest, Ray's wife's going to be upset if we don't ask about Notre Dame. So I'll ask the last, <laughs> I'll ask the last NHL question and then let it go there. As you said, you went to the Bruins, you end up with the Caps, you get back to the Stanley Cup finals another time, don't win the Cup. Um, as the career ends, I mean, it's 13 years, um, some great moments, um, totally fulfilled. You, the, the, the NHL career is everything you could have asked for. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the icing on the cake would have been a Stanley cup win, but it doesn't change me as a person in any manner. I got, I played six times in the final four and, you know, and I, and I got the Stanley cup finals three times and, and quite frankly, we left everything we had out there. If I thought that we didn't leave it all out there, I think it would hurt more, but even my individual playing career, when I was done playing, guys, I was done playing and had no regrets. And, and I think it, I was fortunate. I'll backtrack right to the start of this conversation and having Bobby Clark as a mentor about leaving it all out there. Um, you know, I believe that what I had, I left out there. Yeah, no one will ever doubt that. And you had, you know, you go to Boston, you get a chance to go to the finals again, 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 run into the Oilers. Uh, then you finish up with Washington. And then your playing career ends um, after a long run, more than 700 regular season games. Uh, and then you get into coaching, which I think a lot of people probably foresaw for you for a long time. I mean, the, uh, as intelligent a player as you were and as natural a leader as you were, you seem to be ideally suited for coaching. And you get the opportunity to, to not just coach, but coach at your alma mater to go back to Notre Dame. And that must have been really fun. I mean, to go back to a school that you clearly liked and, and really enjoyed, to go back there in a position where – you're the head coach of the hockey program, and you were there for a decade. It was. It came very unexpectedly. It happened in January of that year, um, my last year in Washington. It was the lockout year, 94-95, so we were just getting set to come back and play. And I got a call on a Sunday afternoon right out of the blue, like no indication, nothing, and they said they were thinking of making a change. Would I be interested? And I remember hanging up the phone saying, I just got a really weird call. So I ended up accepting the job while I was still an active player and kept it quiet for a couple more months. And, but you know, I I did it for 10 years, guys. I don't think I was ever a coach. I really don't. I think Mm. I, I I really don't. I I wasn't wired in the manner. And the more I know about coaches now than I ever have, because I've managed them and watched them, you know, so closely. Um, It's a different makeup. And I, I think I'm more of a manager than a coach. And I did coach for 10 years and we got the program back on track at Notre Dame and were able to move towards building a magnificent facility. And, and now it's a perennial top 10, you know, um, club and, and, you know, they've turned out a lot of pros and it's doing everything that I ever envisioned it could do. I just don't think I was a coach and, you know, coaches from a wiring standpoint have to wake up some mornings and by nature, I'm an incredibly positive person. 
and you had to walk in that locker room with a totally different mentality than you wanted to. And, you know, you were managing 26, 18 to 23 year olds and it was constant. It never, ever left you. And it really, really beat me up as an individual, as a person. And, and hence my, you know, my decision after 10 years to step back from coaching. Interesting. And you're now in broadcasting, as we mentioned, you were recently uh, covered uh, hockey for the Olympics for uh, TSN, I believe. Um, so let's wrap with this, Dave Poulin. We've really enjoyed this hour. You did spend six years here. You are identified certainly in this town, and you said uh, wherever you go, people see you uh, as as a member of the Flyers. Um, what's your What's your sense of this city, its hockey culture, and its fans? Unique, and you know, and I and I hope that never changes. I, I did fear. Um, as I sat at Mr. Snyder's funeral, that he was the one common strand that went through the organization. And, and I thought, you know, how blessed the organization was, how the city was to have him there from day one, you know, for his entire tenure right through, you know, his departure and his death. And um, I think it was just, it was so unique that one person identified with the franchise like that. And, you know, and, and now I think it, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take some work, to get it back to where it was. And, and I think that's always the foundation is certainly there. It's a unique team, a unique bond with the city. Um, the broad street bullies will never leave. I mean, it just won't. Uh, if there's a Jersey that's associated with a city, with a team that's longstanding and, and will always be there in some fashion. But I think there's some work to do to get it back to the identity that it had for so long. Yeah. Amen to that. Dave Pullen, it's been a great hour. Uh, this Tell Us Your Story is sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Hey, thanks so much, Dave. Really appreciate it. Hey, great to catch up, guys. Good luck with everything, and uh, maybe we'll see you in an arena soon. Well, there you go, uh, Ray, and that was thoroughly enjoyable uh, because he's a great interview, and he was a great guy, and you understand. you. I, I was here not for his entire career, but you were and understand what he means to this town, this franchise, these fans. Yeah, um, it was not easy to be the guy succeeding Bob Clark wearing the C for that franchise back when that meant something. Uh, and, uh, and it was a very tough I think, you know, they, they, they could have given it to Mark Howe, and nobody would have complained. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there were some guys on that team. You know, Brad Marsh had been a captain before. I mean, everybody was a little surprised when they gave it to Dave Poulin because he was so young and so new. But they knew what they were doing. I mean, he had the perfect temperament uh, to be the captain of this team, and he was the captain for a long time through some very, very good years. And, you know, the thing you kind of can tell, and we could tell back then when we were interviewing him, and you can certainly hear it now in this interview, is how bright he is. I mean, he was uh, he graduated from Notre Dame with a 3.3 GPA, which is mm-hmm. not easy. So nope. he was a dean's list, dean's list scholar, and uh, heck of a heck of a hockey player. And he played here for a long time, and will always be remembered as one of the most popular players in the city's history. Yeah, well, that was fun, uh, and that was a really good one. And it's uh, been a fun day. You and I will be back tomorrow. Uh, a couple things I want to do tomorrow. I really want to. St- I mean, Sixers play tonight in Miami, Ray. I think. This could be the first loss of the James Harden era. It, it, it's going to be tough. Yeah. I'll to go back to back. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really tough. Yeah. So I'll do that. And I want to uh, start talking about um, kind of NFL season is opening up. You and I are both going to be off next weekend. So we'll yes. do a little preview of 
the NFL season, what's coming up there. Dan Wilson, we got to choose a caller of the day. That's your big job. What do you got? Yeah, a lot of good callers today, but we're going to go with an old friend, Linda and Bala. Uh, she wins call of the day. <laughs> ah, that's nice. Yeah, you can never go wrong with Linda. No, no. Linda wins a $50 gift certificate to Scheib Sports. Where there's a story in every stitch. Visit them in Center City or at ScheibSports.com. Congratulations to her. Uh, Ray, you got anything going tonight? Um. No, I'm probably going to start laying the groundwork for Tommy and me. I think that's great. It opens, when does it open in Bucks County? It opens, uh, We Tommy and me will be opening at the beautiful Bucks County Playhouse April the 7th, and tickets are on sale as we speak. So uh, go to the Bucks County, Bucks County Playhouse website and order your tickets for Tommy and me. Ten performances, um, and it's a beautiful theater. If you've never been up there, right there on the Delaware River, it's going to be springtime. It's actually going to be nice. So please come up and see us. Uh, if you've seen the play before, come back and see it again. And if you've never seen it, this is your best time. I love that play. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Uh, James Seltzer, Elliot Shore Parks coming up next with Go Birds Radio. A great job by Dan Wilson. Ray and I will see you tomorrow right here. Same spot on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.